for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam. Welcome to episode 11 of the Beyond the Boscore podcast. Matt, wow, 11. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, it's it's a lot. I'm I'm your host Dave Gershman, and I'm being joined as always from the Greater Toronto area, Matt Klassen. Matt, how are you? Good. And uh, I am very good. Yeah. The weather is the weather is clearing up here. Uh, uh, I, it was a little bit cold today. I took a long walk uh, without any gloves on. That was a bad idea. But uh, yeah, it's nice. My yard isn't full of snowdrifts anymore. Matt, we uh, I really missed you last week, man. And, uh, yeah, that's I heard I got Wally pipped. Yeah, by Mike from uh, Mike shows his tragic tragic illness. It was a lot of fun, but you know, but you were greatly missed. Um, you know, uh, I went. I'm I, I mean, a little bit. I'm gonna ask you to talk about your your great ventures in the in the fine state of Arizona. Um, but Matt, I mean, you know, opening day is only a week away, man. It's only it's next Thursday. Aren't you excited? I'm pumped. Uh, the Royals, which we we won't go off on too long here, but the Royals actually. Uh, it's weird having the opening day on Thursday, but at least they're not like doing a game and then no game. I hate that. Yeah, they'll like have four games in a row to start the year. That's cool. I guess for the Royals, it's going to be Jared Weaver against Luke Hochaver. So it's a pretty good matchup. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see how Hochaver does this year. I think it's I think it's definitely uh, it's going to be a very good. It's going to be a great opening day. There's going to be a lot of teams, and then there's also opening. You know, it's really two opening days because there's opening day, and then there's opening day the following day as well for teams who haven't played on the first day. So it's, it's so it's really exciting. We're all really excited. Uh, a week from Thursday, and um, hey, Matt, we have really good news. I told you this earlier, but it's amazing news for our podcast fans, and there's obviously an uncountable amount of them. Um, the podcast is actually in the music store now, so. Feel free to search uh, either Beyond the Box Score or Matt Klassen or Dave Gershman or BTB, whatever. You'll find it there. Uh, it's a free download. Uh, you, uh, there's no uh, there's no subscribing to the link anymore because the podcast is is there in the music store. And um, Matt, you know, we're really excited about that. Uh, we're, oh, we've hit it big, finally. Right? We, we are huge. We're huge. Uh, this is actually the most popular podcast uh in the, city in, the of, universe. in the city of White Plains, New York, where I am at. <laughs> um, the, most pop, the most popular sabermetric podcast, podcast yeah, in, in White Plains. It's, yeah. it's the most And also in my town of Mount Albert. It's the most okay. popular Beyond the Boscore podcast that was ever made. But, yes, undoubtedly. Um, we actually, Matt, we got a lot of emails this week, and we're going we're gonna to answer some uh, simply because, uh, you know, obviously, uh, obviously uh, we want to, and there's a lot to talk about, but Mike and I finished uh, the, the division prep last week as, as we talked about the the NL Central and that was that was a lot of fun uh, we have some emails um, please send your emails to us at btbquestions at gmail.com uh, Matt and I are on Twitter I am at Dave underscore Gershman Matt is at devil underscore fingers and uh, we uh, you know we, we we Matt we missed you last week and you were in Arizona and you were in the sun you were in the you were in the the Valley of the Sun, and I was in Florida a couple weeks ago, and I talked about that on last week's podcast. I haven't heard your, uh, you know, your uh, 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 adventures from last week, so so talk about it, man. How was it? I had a great time. I was down there as, as part of the Fangraphs crew. We uh, started that uh, Dave Dave Appleman and uh, David Appleman and Dave Cameron started that last year. I went down. We went down this year. We had a lot more people. Uh, that was a good time. We. Uh, caught some games. There's some nice new stadiums down there. The uh, 
Uh, the the D backs and Padres. I should remember this. Have a nice stadium. We got to see Mike Jacobs play for the Rockies. That was a great uh, a great former Royal. Uh, we got you know we had some yeah. Fangraphs meetups with uh, uh, some executives, front offices. Uh, one was with uh, guys from Cleveland, uh, Chris Antonetti, the GM, uh, and assistant GM Mike Chernoff. And uh, Joe Borger, I think is his name. He's a, he's a scout for the uh, uh, currently a scout for the Diamondbacks. And we had another one with uh, Borger again. There's also Tony Blangino, who's a, a front office guy for uh, for the Mariners, and uh, Rick Hahn, who's AGM for the White Sox, who's actually in the running for the Mets job. So uh, those were all really good. Uh, talk to some other people. I finally got to talk to uh, anonymous AL officials. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And uh, yeah, so now I can. I uh, uh, let me say that without me asking, I had anonymous some anonymous AL officials from rival clubs uh, spontaneously talking about how awesome Eric Hosmer is. Yeah, which is a Royals fan. That's pretty exciting. Um, it was interesting to hear their insights. I will I will say one thing: if you ever have a chance to go to some sort of panel with Rick Hahn for the White Sox on it, go to it. Just trust me, he's he's great. I mean, every, I mean, everyone was good. Uh, Boringer, the guys from Cleveland, and uh, Blengino was good too. But uh, Hahn is uh, in a class by himself. Uh, uh, a real White Sox guy and a smart guy, and I think a lot of people. He's a riser that he can get the Mets job. Uh, obviously, um, Sandy Alderson's a good choice there, of course. Uh, but most, I think there's a lot of people who think that Han will get a shot somewhere, whether it's in Chicago, if, if Kenny Williams uh, goes somewhere else and decides he just doesn't want to do it anymore, you know, if there's the conflict with Ozzy, uh, or, or, or and if it isn't there, Han will get a shot somewhere else. Uh, but he's a, he's a cool guy. It's good to hear. I mean, um, I know, obviously, uh, you told me about your, about your trip, uh, you know, you know before uh, we were recording and it sounded like you had a great time and I'm really happy to hear that you had a great time with the Fangraphs guys and that's good. And, uh, and then you came back. And you uh, and you checked the beyond the box score email account, and uh, and you just couldn't believe your eyes. It was it was flooded with emails yeah. from 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 people all over the world, all over America. Yeah, it almost it, it almost put it out of commission. Yeah, and I actually got an email uh, from uh, seriously. I got an email uh, asking if we wanted to continue with that email address, and I said absolutely. We get a ton of emails. We're ready. And, yeah. And with that, our first email, Matt. You know, it's been it's been about several weeks since we uh, since we did emails, but we have uh, we have about four or five today that we're going to talk about. We're going to we're going to also we forgot to tell you guys um, we're going to be joined by uh, by Will Carroll, injury expert, as well as Dave Cameron in this podcast. Um, both uh, both had uh, we had a great time talking to them. Matt I was a little quiet, but um, Matt, I'm not sure why you always uh, why you always do that, but uh, but you know um, I, well you know. You know it- it's I, I just took advice to some of my iTunes reviewers. <laughs> yeah. Also, guys, uh, please uh, uh, rate and review the iTunes, um, um, you know, rate and review section. Uh, we really appreciate it. We give you guys a free podcast every, every week, and we work very hard. So the least you could do for us is rate and review. Um, uh, <laughs> what was that? I didn't hear you. But, but just positively. Yeah, positively. <laughs> um, no, you know, uh, you know, Will Carroll. I mean, I was saying before, uh, before I went blank. Uh, I mean, you know, personally, uh, uh, he taught me so much that I didn't even know. I mean, it's, um, you know, because you think that you know, you know, all about this stuff just by you know reading tweets and hearing about injuries and, and reading books, or whatever. It's not the case. I mean, there's so much uh, that he. It, it, listen, it was it was a great interview. It was one of the best interviews that we did. You got to listen to the Will Carroll interview. It was about 40 minutes, but it, it was it's great. It's uh, I mean, this, oh, this guy is amazing. Um, Matt, our first email, okay, from a. Uh, what about? Well, it, well, it's from it's from it's from uh, it's from Jared 
sorry, uh, Jamel Smith in Brooklyn, okay? And Jamel okay. Is, is a big minor league fan. Uh, he says, Dave and Matt, I know that you – I know that – Dave, uh, I know that you expertise when it comes to, to the New York Penn League. Can you talk about some upcoming players who will be in the New York Penn League this year and how everything works since the league starts in June? I understand that there are a lot of players from the GCL and, D, and DSL who will play – who will play – sorry – who will play there, but are obviously, but obviously have something to, but obviously have to do something until June 20th, which is when the league starts. Yes, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny that because the league starts two months after uh, after the regular season starts, and after every other uh, minor league uh, a team starts playing, and that's mainly it's for a couple of reasons, okay? And uh, obviously, Matt, as you know, you know the June amateur draft is is a couple of weeks prior to when the Penn League season starts, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of the players in the Penn League um, are to that are you know our draftees from the from the draft that just happened a couple weeks ago and you know it's it's not it's usually not top prospects at least at first you know uh for example i you know i i saw lake monsters last year i'll see um, all all pen league season and um you know that was the nationals and most of those guys were 10th 11th 12th 13th 14th rounders you know guys in the you know guys in the later rounds but not bad players not players who you know who you can just write off the books they're they're um they're you know they're good prospects they just uh you know uh, they signed sheep out of college. Uh, you know, mostly college players in the Penn League at first, uh, unless they're top prospects. For example, Manny Machado played s- some time in Aberdeen last year. Um, and you know, the players uh, who are who are not uh, coming out of the draft, they usually stay in extended spring training. Which uh, you know, you know, uh, I talked to some players and some uh, executives last week when I was down at Pirates Camp, and these guys, you know, from what I've heard, they you know they do not want to do it at all. It's you know, everyone wants to get out of camp once you see. For example, if you're if you're uh, someone who's staying in extended sorry in extended spring training, Matt, and you see um, you know someone like Jamison Tyon go straight to Bradenton and, and all and you know the whole camp clears out and you're saying to yourself, why am I still here? It, it obviously is frustrating. But these guys, uh, they play hard. They uh, they get ready for June. They usually stay down you know uh, wherever their minor league camp is and they prepare. Um, you know that's a that's a, that's a that's a this is about it's a portion of players who make up the New York Penn League roster and also and remember this is you know this is short season ball so there's also the Pioneer League in in the West but we're talking you know so we're talking short season in particular um, yeah do the guys get paid when they're extended spring training training yeah they do you know everyone's on a salary uh, you know signing bonuses uh, usually um, you, you know they obviously go to players uh, out of the draft um, you know because every player gets drafted mostly uh, players who are going to try to get signing bonuses most of the time, and they usually get about half of it at the time of their signing, and then another half about uh, a couple months later. Bryce Harper probably got his half a year after he signed with the Nationals, so I guess that's you know just a couple months ago or whatever. Um, and you know yeah. players they don't get paid a lot of money at all in the minors. Well, sorry, in the New York Penn League they get um, you know they get uh, they get uh, housing and they get uh, you know they get taken care of, but they don't uh, you know but they get paid very little. That's why a lot of them have jobs outside of the season, you know. And, um, you know, a, a lot of other players in the New York Penn League uh, are made up from the DSL or Gulf Coast League. The, uh, the DSL is the, is the Dominican Summer League. And, you know, you'll see Carlos Martinez, the top Cardinals prospect, or one of the top Cardinals prospects. So that's, you know, that's pretty much how it is. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot. And, and the question also, uh, Matt uh, Jamel asks about some players to keep an eye on. And, you know, I said Carlos Martinez. There's a guy in the Indians organization who I, who I really like named Kyle Petter. Uh, Matt, I know you like him. Uh, yeah right. What position do those guys play? What positions do they play? Well, Carlos Martinez is a pitcher. I mean, he's been you know scouts just love this kid. He has a he has a really good, a really good arm. Uh, he has you know a very good arm speed. He he's he's he has a really good body. He's I mean he you know he's projectable. He has really good stuff. His fastball, his 
his uh he's working on his off-speed pitches. Uh, they're not fully there yet, but he's I mean I think he's only 18 or 19 years old. Uh, he's very young. Or I, I'm not even sure if he's 19. I think he's 18 or, or 17. Um, but he you know he's a big kid. He's a Cardinals prospect. He'll be with with Batavia. Uh, mostly you know I mean probably at some point next year unless he goes uh, straight to uh, uh to uh to Quad Cities, which is uh, the Midwest League, Low A. Um, and you know there's there I mean there's a, there's a lot of really good players in the league. I mean I said Manny Machado played there last year. Um, you know, and, and, and these are these are guys who obviously have about, you know, maybe 200, 300, 350 at-bats throughout the New York Penn League season. So you get to see a good amount. It's, it's it, you know, it's during the summer. And the, and the league starts in June 21st, as I said. And yeah. It ends in early September. And, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, of really good players. Uh, Telvin Nash was a really good player there last year. Uh, I said Kyle Petter. Uh, there's a guy named Dixon Machado. And, that's and, you know, you really can't predict uh, the rest of the roster. But, uh, sorry, uh, the rest of the, of the rosters. But, yeah, I mean, I've been doing a lot of work, Matt, on uh, on Penn League Report. If you want to check it out, it's www.penleagueReport.net. And um, it's a great site. Thanks, Matt. You know, I I I'm, I'll be uh, I'm doing a lot of work there, but but that's you know that's nothing. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's very exciting. I love watching Penn Leaguers play. I love watching rookie ball. Uh, you know, short season. It's a lot of fun. My you know minor leagues are awesome. Yeah. And um, so our second email, Matt. This is uh, this is one for you, okay? Because I know that this is a topic that you. I've seen you tweet all day about this. I um, <laughs> I don't think I tweeted all day about it. I think yeah, yeah. No, I think you've tweeted all day about it. It's from Tyrone Tyrone Goldstein from Sioux Falls. It's wait, hold on a second. It's Sioux Falls, South I, Dakota. South Dakota. That's okay. I, I was gonna say Iowa, but South Dakota. Um, all right, Dave and Matt. I love the podcast so far. Thanks, Tyrone. Um, really glad that it's finally it's finally on iTunes. Uh, what do you guys? make of the Twins rotation. What's going on with the Twins rotation? Do you agree with their decision to put Kevin Slowey in the bullpen? What's going on with the Francisco Liriano uh, trade front? Matt, take this one. Got a thing before. Uh, sorry, Dave, can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry, I think we covered the Liriano trade thing before. I, you know, who knows how, what reality there is. They're obviously not happy with him, uh, with whatever program he did or didn't do in the offseason. That's just one aspect of the of the Twins being silly because uh, – the slowy thing is hilarious. I mean, uh, be, not so much. Well, part of it's because it's slowy. Uh, but part of it's because they're going with Nick Blackburn. Now, maybe they're just trying to make this really stupidly gave Nick Blackburn uh, this big contract mm-hmm. uh, a year or two ago. Yeah. And, you know, he, he kind of blows. Um, the thing with Blackburn is that he's like a twins guy. Uh, basically, all he does is. He does an okay job of avoiding walks. Nick Blackburn is terrible. Um, I'm not sure whether uh, Nick Blackburn is the skinny Tommy Hunter or if Tommy Hunter is the fat Nick Blackburn. Uh, that's, that's actually that's a really good comparison. I like that, actually. Yeah, just a crappy guy who somehow got a start. In, well, in, in Blackburn's case, would have got a start in the playoffs. I mean, he did. Well, he does an okay job of getting ground balls. That's unfair. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say I'll, he, he, yeah, I'll he's, he's like a, than Hunter. He's he's a, he's he's a, but he's a poor, a very poor man's uh, <laughs> uh, Carl Pavano, and you know Pavano's a decent pitcher, uh, but but Blackburn and, and Slowy as uh, uh, Dave Cameron pointed out, Dan Fangraphs, of all the of all the, and he's had some injury problems, and uh, apparently you know he got some attitude issue the Twins don't like, which reminds me of Matt Garza, another guy they sold low on, yeah, uh, really low, unless you really think Delman Young is good, which which he isn't. Uh, I mean, Slowey gets uh, Slowey has the best uh, strikeout to walk ratio. The only three pitchers that have better strikeout to walk ratios of qualified guys are the last three seasons are Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee, and Dan Heron. 
Now, obviously, Slowey's not in their league overall. Just the point being, here's a really good pitcher. Uh, he, he He's never pitched more than 160 innings in a season. Uh, and he's an extreme fly ball guy. But in their park in particular, that works, right? Yeah. Because it's such a big park, or at least it suppresses home runs. Uh, that maybe it wouldn't work in, say, Texas. Uh, but it works in Minnesota. It would work in – I honestly can't think of a single team that couldn't use Kevin Slowey in their rotation. He's only he's making less than $3 million this year. He's easily worth that. Uh, and the, the, they're going with Black. That He's ending up in the pen. He's ridiculous. Seriously, I mean, you know who really needs him? The Twins. Yeah. <laughs> because they've got uh, Blackburn. He's definitely better than Blackburn and, and Dunsing, if you ask me. Uh, you know, I think Baker's better than, than, than Slowey. Uh, but if they traded him, I, I mean – Seriously, think of the team he could use. Even the Phillies, he's yeah. better than Blanton. he's better than Blanton. No, I mean he's not a bad pitcher at all. He's, I mean, you know, he's a good, Twins, he's a good pitcher. Well, I mean, yeah. he's not awesome. But well, the uh, thing is, 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 you know, is, is, just because the Twins are like a certain pitcher, it doesn't mean that another team wouldn't like that certain pitcher. The Twins have their own ways of being a selective in, in, in terms of picking their rotation, and obviously they, they've done that before with certain pitchers. And, and Matt, you and I have talked about how we don't like all their moves all the time, and obviously. Uh, this is another one. I, I do agree with you. I think Kevin Slowey is, is not a bad pitcher at all. I mean, it was just a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, I mean, there was a lot of interest. I mean, you know, if the, if the Twins were going to get a big bat, everyone wanted either Denard Span or Kevin Slowey or you know Denard Span and Kevin Slowey. I mean, he's he's not he's not a bad pitcher, but he, I mean, he, you know, he's not a great pitcher, but he's definitely not bad, and he is deserving of a rotation spot. Well, he's definitely he could be a number three. Well, he could be out fell on a, on a bad club. He could be a number one pitcher, yeah. <laughs> like the, like the Royals this season. He'd be their best pitcher, but but on a lot of clubs, he could. I, there aren't very very many clubs where he wouldn't be a good number three pitcher, or maybe even a number two on some clubs with slight with without great rotations. Yeah. Uh, but definitely a number three. This guy is not your number four back back in starter. He, he doesn't have a great strikeout rate, but it's not bad. It's good, and he has very good control. Yeah. Um, his curveball, I like a lot. In a good park, I mean, he's. I don't. If I were, uh, I don't remember. Does this guy? He's. He's. He's not a super hard thrower. No, he's not at all. Uh, uh, he tops out at ninety, I think. Yep. Uh, but you know, he's got. Uh, he's got three pitches. Uh, this. This isn't a borderline guy. Maybe they want a bullpen guy for him. I'll tell you what. Even a team like the Roy, even a team like the Royals, which uh, needs to be going for younger guys, could. Yep. Would, could use a guy like Slowey. He's the same age as Hochaver. I mean, I just bring this up as a dumb example. And frankly, a team, if they're going to sell low on him, a team could turn around and then sell high on him. Yeah. <laughs> or you know what I mean? Or sorry, could turn around and get better value. They, apparently, they want a high end reliever, but I don't know what they, I don't know what to do. And the thing with the Twins is, I mean, it's just like the Liriano thing. And just like Garza before him, he's not doesn't fit their mold. He's not doing exactly what they want him to do. And so they want to get rid of him. And I know the Twins have had a lot of success. And they've made some good moves, obviously. But they keep doing this. They got screwed on Garza. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Liriano? But 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 this is a team that is. Uh, I mean, I think right now they're in a dead heat with the White Sox yeah. and almost dead, and, and Tigers. I think the Tigers are probably going to win, uh, or the White Sox. But you know, it could be any of them, right? And it, you're talking about over a season. The difference between like 150 innings of Kevin Slowey, 150 innings of Nick Blackburn, is is is. Definitely a win, probably closer to two wins, right? Over, over that's going to cost you over the, over a season, and and that that is probably going to that, that's likely to be close to the margin of uh, difference in wins between in the AL Central, yeah. right? I mean, so this could cost them 
a trip to the playoffs, which costs you millions of dollars, which costs you the money you need to pay off a dumb contract like Nick Blackburn. Yeah, well, well, the thing is, I mean, it seems like, I mean, obviously, Matt, the, you know, uh, Nick Blackburn has not been a good pitcher for the past several years. Uh, same thing with Scott Baker. Scott Baker has not been that bad, but he hasn't been that good. I mean, well, Blackburn, like... Black, Blackburn, uh, sorry, Baker's good. Baker's better than Slowey. Uh, Baker's their second best pitcher. Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing: last year, last year Baker was not. Well, Baker got hurt last year. Yeah, and the time he was healthy, he wasn't that effective. But the thing is, you know, last year they had Slowey, they had Blackburn, and they had um, they had Baker, and they had Dunsey make up a a large chunk of their of their team's uh, season pitching wise, you know, rotation wise, and you know, I mean, and they got it done. You know, they got it done. Well, I, don't... I think Dunsing was over his head, and he's not a bad guy to have to end your rotation. He's better than Blackburn, too. Blackburn, Blackburn sucks. Blackburn's a number five pitcher. He's getting paid like a number three pitcher. Yeah, well, it, and, yeah. It just seems like the Twins always get it done some way or, or the other. Well, last year, though, they, they do. They do. They, they've won the division, uh, you know, two uh, last two seasons. I mean, even 2008, uh, they were – I mean, it was a one-game playoff, you know. Right, but, 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 but you're looking at a team – that should that just that is just getting it done. The White Sox, they were short, the reason they beat the White Sox last year is because the White Sox stupidly left let Tomei go, yeah. and and Tomei went crazy uh, for the Twins then after after Morneau went down. Right. Well, yeah. And so, so, so and, and that was basically the difference between those two teams. But that's not going to happen this season. One thing, Tomei's not going to hit like Barry Bonds again. Right. And the other thing is the Twins, the the, the White Sox went out and got Adam Dunn. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the White Sox have have. Yeah, we don't have to talk about the White Sox. Uh, the Twins, the Twins get it done, but you know, you know, Baker's Baker's been a good pitcher. Well, they had Dunsing pitched over his head. Uh, uh, Morneau hit went crazy. I mean, seriously, was awesome. Was having a career year. Yeah. Uh, but he got hurt, and then then Tomey did. Uh, and, and Delman Young was non horrible, uh, which is which is which is a, a real step up for him. To just not be worthless. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think the Twins this season. Look, they're they're in there. They're a good team. They're pretty much well put together. The Nishioka signing was a good one. I like it a lot. Uh, uh, I think Alexi can see it at shortstop is going to be a disaster. Um, but look, every team, they, all, all three of those teams are flawed too. They all have good players. You, know, you got Verlander, uh, is maybe the best pitcher in the division for Detroit. You got Scherzer, is great. Miguel Cabrera is probably the best hitter in the American League. Yeah. And but then Venice flawed. You got you know you got Chicago. You know PV's gone down. Uh, they got Juan Pierre in left field. Uh, Mark Tian might end up featuring prominently if somebody gets hurt. Uh, things like, uh, and there's, you know, AJ Prozinski is, uh, I think, 75 years old. Um, so there's problems there. Uh, but they've also improved with Dunn. Uh, I think Carlos Quentin's going to have a nice comeback here. Things like that. And so, so, so Minnesota is not the only team flawed. The thing is, you don't have, it's, you're going to have problems with injuries and guys not playing well. You don't want to, Put you put yourself five points down at the beginning of the year by starting a crappy pitcher or a guy who's clearly better, and that's what they're doing by choosing Blackburn over slowly. Right. We'll see what happens. Um, hey Matt, we also we, we have another email from uh, Dan Graffinino in Mesa, Arizona, Tony's <laughs> brother. <laughs> that's right. Um, he says, hey, he says, hey guys, the Diamondbacks have the have two top picks. Sorry, have two picks in the top seven. Any idea who they're looking at in particular, and what type of players you think they'll target? I mean. I think, yeah, you know, Keith Law recently tweeted, I think it was a couple of days ago, Matt, and he said that the Dimebacks have, uh, you know, some interest in Danny Holson, who's a, um, I, I believe he's at Virginia. Yeah, he's at Virginia, and he, um, he's a lefty. He throws, he has a good, I mean, his, his velocity's been much higher this year uh, than last. Uh, he's, he's striking out a ton of guys. I, th- I think he has a 60, I think he has a 60 to 4 
strike out to walk ratio in uh, in about or about twenty thirty and no about thirty forty innings and uh, yeah I mean he's he's probably going to go seven at the Diamondbacks if they really want him I mean he's not going to go six five four three two one most likely uh, you know I, I don't think any team wants him as much as the Diamondbacks do because there are a lot of other really good players uh, to pick from and and you know with the Diamondbacks third pick I mean you know barring anything uh, going wrong with you know, Matt Perk, or whatever. I mean, it would seem like the Diamondbacks would probably take another, uh, you know, a pitcher and a pitcher, two pitchers. And I think it would be, uh, you know, it would be the right thing to do to take Matt Perk, uh, unless, you know, things go wrong. He has not been pitching that well, but he seems like the consensus top three pick. Um, you know, I, I don't think it would be, I, I don't think it would make sense to take someone like, uh, George Springer for the Diamondbacks, you know, simply because, simply because, uh, you know, an outfielder is not what they need. And there's, you know, there's Bubba Starling. I don't think they need. I don't. Th- I don't think they need to bat, Matt. I mean, they have. Well, but it seems. Yeah, but you're talking about this is the most stacked draft people have seen in years. Yeah. I mean, which 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 picks do they have? Well, they have the third and the seventh, and it seems like you know. I mean, obviously with the top pick, I usually take the best Rend- talent. R- R- Rendon's not going to be. Rendon's there. not going to be there, but you take the best talent with your top pick. But it's still. I mean, I think. They, well, it seems like it seems like you take the best talent. Well, yeah. The first few rounds, period. You know, I don't think the I mean, the Diamondbacks have a decent system, right? I mean, it's probably probably in the top half of the MLB. Uh, well, some people think so. I mean, it's not good. Yeah. It's not great. Uh, I'm just talking about uh, uh, some people. Say, you know, it's not great, but they're not stacked at any one position. They probably don't need another. Uh, I mean, I mean, their best. I mean, Jared Parker, Tyler Skaggs, those are probably their best prospects, right? And both are, yeah, yeah. Probably, and they're both they're both pitchers. Yeah, I, I think I think you just take the best. I, I, I mean, to me, you, you always take this talent in yeah. the first round. It's been in the first ten picks, for, no, the first round, first few rounds. They're just there's too much uncertainty. I think to try to balance things out. Now, if you've got like three or four third awesome first basemen, yeah, okay, then maybe don't take a guy who's going to end up at first. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. I, I mean, I, I, I don't. This team sucks. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to need. I mean, who knows? Kevin Towers. Uh, this is, so maybe maybe Matt Bush's brother is uh, available. Yeah. Um, you know, Rend is not going to be available. Uh, will Bradley still be there? Bradley's going to be there, but yeah, you, know, you know. But then again, what I'm saying is, you know, the Diamondbacks uh, they'll have. You know, I mean, because Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, he's not a third overall pick. He's he's a yeah. he's a great athlete. He's an excellent. He's a great player. But there's no tool of his that stands out among you know the rest of them. I mean, he's will he will, will he be there at seven? Yeah, he'll be there at seven. But I think, I mean, I think the Royals might take a look at him. I think he's, you know, the Nationals will probably take a look. I think, I think he'll be there at seven. But I think the Dimebacks would want to take Colson at seven. Um, and you know, uh, with the third pick, I mean, if if they have Matt Perk on the board and they have George Springer on the on the board and they have uh, you know Taylor Jungman on the board and Sonny Gray on the, and Sonny Gray on the board, that's that's you know three pitchers. Uh, you know, all four of those players, Matt, are top ten picks easily, easily top eight picks even. Yeah. Um, well, they. I mean, to me, I mean, to me, that that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I see to your judgment on this. I think they. I don't think they need to be looking at any position. Though. They don't have exactly. any. They're not. They're not stacked in any position. Uh, honestly, maybe trading Justin Upton isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, how long is he? Long? They may not be good before he's before the last year or two of his yeah. contract again. Uh, That's a lot of money too. I, I I don't believe in Kevin Towers' ability to build up a team from scratch, which is basically what they have to do at this point. Yeah. Justin Upton's an awesome deal, but maybe, they, but who knows? Maybe nobody can. I mean, we can talk about this some other time. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that Upton is tradable in the sense that uh, uh, yeah. no team would be willing to give up the number of prospects it would be to make it worth it for the Diamondbacks. You know what I mean? I mean, he can't stay his, healthy. His value, he can't stay healthy. He, yeah, he's oh, making a lot of can, money. No, 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 I love. Just, I think Justin. Yeah, yeah, a great yeah, player. Well, he's but, a great but player, I'm saying but no one's. But, 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 but no team is going to. 
to make it worth it for them to give him up. Right. No team is going to give up that return because people don't trade those kind of prospects anymore. So what I'm saying is I, they, they just need to take what they can get. I mean, I don't know. Is, is Owings going to stick at shortstop? Yeah, I think he's a shortstop. And they have uh, some other good players. You know, they have A.J. Pollock. They have uh, uh, Mark Krause. They have a guy who I really like at third base or first base, Matt Davidson. Um, you know, he'll be an infielder. Yeah, Chris Owings is a is a, is a very good player. Um, you know, the the Diamondbacks have a ton of really good hitters. They have a guy I like named uh, Keon Broxton who, who had a, you know, I mean, I think he struck out almost 200 times in the Midwest League last year. But, you know, but the tools are there, and uh, uh, he's a he's a really good athlete. He's strong. He's fast. Uh, you know, they have uh, AJ Pollock, who you know, again, a, a, another top pick. They have Bobby Borchering, who, uh, who you know, who's getting there. He's he's still young. He has a lot of you know a lot of time. The tools aren't you know. I mean, again, you know, like Jackie Bradley Jr. The tools aren't exceptionally exciting. They're they're good. Uh, he has some power. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt isn't really a prospect. I mean, he's he's 24 years old already, and uh, aside from aside from hitting home runs, it's really uh, you know that's his game. He's not going to do much else. But the Diamondbacks have a, have a bounty of good hitters. But Borchering's not going to stick at third either. No, no, no. Well, he's going to be in a, he'll be a first baseman. But uh, Matt Davidson, I think, could probably stick at third. But we'll see with that. I mean, he the glove is a little bit of a question. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, the Diamondbacks, uh, aside from Jared Parker, aside from Tyler Skaggs, uh, you know, they don't have many many good pitching prospects. So Wade Miley is a is not a good pitcher. Uh, the guy, yeah. yeah, he has no control. No command of his fastball. Well, it seems to me they just need to, you know, what the Royals have done. And look, I mean, you know, I've, I've criticized Dayton Moore a lot on here and elsewhere, and I, I'm going to ease off on that. But one thing he's done, I think, is the smart thing is look, you go for the best talent. Yeah, everyone of course. Knows. I think everyone knows that. Not everyone does it, you know, they say it. But they, they, they you think if you look at the Royals drafts, what they've done is uh, the, the, when, they, when they had top picks, they didn't do this with Crow, but that they had like the 13th pick that year. Yeah. You get you get a position player. Uh, Either, you know what? Last year, they there weren't any high upside guys left. No. Uh, in terms, so they got Christian Colon. Whatever. I I personally wanted uh, uh, the catcher's name saves me now. But yes, Monty Grandal. I wanted him, but whatever. Uh, you know, Dayton knows better than I do. And then with their supplemental picks in the second round, they loaded up on Absolutely. tons of arms, right? Because look, half those guys are going to get hurt or end up in the pen. I mean, who knows? Right now, it's Montgomery, uh, Lamb, and uh, Dwyer. Yeah. Right. And and Duffy. Hey, I know and, and, Yeah. It, it, yeah, and an Odorizzi. If if three of those guys uh, are average or above, it, are, are good starters in the major leagues, the Royals have gotten super lucky. I'm not putting. I'm just saying because that's the way pitchers are. But, but my point being that for the, for the Diamondbacks, they just have to get whatever they can. But if there aren't, but, but going going uh, but going high on on a, going going a top ten picks on a pitcher with a high school guys who knows how they're going to end up with a college guy, um, it's tough for guys to, to, to make that transition, right? To pitching every, to, to, to pitching that many games a season. A lot of things can change in terms of their velocity. Now, obviously it depends on what they, what people think of their delivery. Is it free and easy? Is it complicated? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but th- this is a team that, uh, they've got a decent system now. It's not, it's not the Brewers or Astros, right? Right. No, not it's, at all. It's, it's not awful. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe I, I. I just think you just got to go for just get stacked yeah. upside. If you try, if you start trying to, if, you, if they're not, if they start trying to fill holes now, in their system, especially with top picks, um, that's they're gonna have to. I mean, you have to get lucky a little bit. You, no matter how good you are at drafting and player development, you have to get a little bit lucky because you don't know how guys are gonna develop physically. Right. Uh, you're not getting or injuries, things like that. So you have to get lucky anyway. If you try to start being more exact about it. Like, this is the same problem I have with the waves theory of drafting, that at first you draft high school guys, and then you draft college guys who are going to mature at the same time mm. later. 
Well, it sounds great in theory, except that you're 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 just assuming that the same proportion of each draft is going to make it. Yeah. And that's just not how it works. There's too much. There's too much uh, random variation. Uh, there's too there's too many unknowns in the draft to try to be that precise about it. And also, and so, uh, also about this uh, about this draft in general. I mean, you said uh, you know t- uh, tools and upside. The thing is, in the you know there's a lot you know in the in the top ten or so projected picks, whatever. Aside from Cole and Rendon, who are going to be who are going to be off the board at number, you know, two at number one and two, there's a lot more certainty and a lot less upside. If you you know, I mean, Bubba Strawling, tons of upside, but you know, if you look at if you look at uh, at, at um, Taylor Jungman, Sonny Gray, Jackie Bradley Jr., George Springer, Matt Perk, all college guys, Danny Holtz, and all college guys, guys who who have who have really good arms, uh, really good bats, you know, tons of tons of bat speed in Bradley Jr. and, and Springer, um, you know, a really good athletes, a really good bodies. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, and Jungman is a big guy. Uh, he throws downhill. Sonny Gray knows how to pitch. He, you know, he's he's not going to strike many guys out. He's 5'11", 195, but he's a you know he's a he's a really good pitcher. He's not a thrower. He's a pitcher, and you know his stuff is already there. I mean, there's so much more certainty in this in the top ten or so picks, with the exception obviously of, of Bubba Starling and a couple of other guys. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Dylan Bundy is another guy, but there's a lot. You know, but but the certainty level. Is, is, is much higher than previous drafts in the past. But, you know, it's a great draft. Uh, towards the end of the first round, you know, there's guys like Sean Denson Jr., who, who we're going to get on the podcast soon, uh, a, a very good buddy of mine. Um, you know, there's guys like Colton Wong, uh, Jason Esposito, guys with, with, you know, there's a lot more high schoolers. There's uh, uh, Ryan Kelly. Um, you know, there's uh, Archie Bradley Jr. Sorry, Archie Bradley. There's guys with a lot more upside than in the top five or so, you know, 10 or so uh, projected picks. And, and that's well, that. Well, that. Yeah. And that's what makes the Rays uh, draft so interesting. They, I think yeah. they have basically, I don't know. It's, I can't even remember the number now. Some, I think it's 13. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, just to go slot could cost them a lot of money. I think, I think they're going to go nuts. This is the a big moment in franchise history. That's what every team, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't understand why every team doesn't have a much bigger draft budget. And it's not just, Spending it, the commissioner will get pissed, but they tolerate spending over slot. I don't understand why every team hasn't done that. Yeah. More and more teams are doing it. Uh, the Diamondbacks need to do it, and uh, yeah. so I hope. I hope. Uh, who was it? Was this uh, uh, Jamel? This is Dan Graffinino. Well, as that the... was a Dan. Sorry, I couldn't couldn't remember because we went so long. But yeah. as uh, I, I would tell say to Dan, there's a lot of things here we got hope for is that uh, ownership is going to open the open the checkbook yeah. because. Uh, every every team show for that, but especially a team that's going to be awful on the major league level for the next few years. That you would also kind of hope that they fi- just uh, fire yeah. Kevin Towers now it would save everyone a lot of time. Um, and also, uh, just just a side note: uh, as the draft nears, Matt, uh, you and I are going to be talking to Jim Callis. A lot a lot of guys involved in the draft. Really? Uh, Kendall Rogers. A lot well, of I'm guys. sure I know Jim Callis really wants to talk to me. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he does. I mean, who doesn't? Because um, he, he, he totally knows who I am. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, we're going to get a lot of guys talking to us about about the draft and how. And you know, I mean, as as it nears, uh, hopefully we'll get Keith Law on. We'll see what happens. Um, but for now, we have um, we have one last email, Matt, that we're going to that we're going to that we're going to answer, and then we're going to take a break. We're going to talk to Will Carroll of Sports Illustrated, and then we're going to talk to Dave Cameron of Fangraphs. Um, Matt, this is from uh, Miguel Batista in Bethesda, surprisingly. <laughs> But that's Maryland, and he's a, I guess he's a Nationals fan. Uh, Miguel says, Miguel says uh, the Nationals have dealt with bullpen trouble this spring. Yes, they have. Is is it something to worry about? And what is the deal with Drew Storm? Well, 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 Matt, let's talk about Drew Storm first. I mean, he's he's had a disastrous spring. His his ERA has has just been. I mean, it's been it's been going up. Um, and you know, if you put ERA aside, you know, I I don't use ERA. I was just using it as an example. I mean, he 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 has not had uh, any break on his curveball. 
Uh, his fastball has been floating up there. He has not looked like himself. His his pitches just haven't had that you know that late zip that they had uh, you know previously. And he's just been uh, serving the ball up, uh, homer after homer, hit after hit. He's been walking guys. He has not looked good at all. And he's a guy who they depend on big time. Uh, Tyler Clippard and Sean Burnett are guys who are you know I mean those are those are good believers. But you know but this bullpen you know the bullpen is is, is some of the Nationals. And Bill Adson told us this a couple of weeks ago when we had him on the podcast, Matt, is that the Nationals have a lot of faith in their bullpen. It's something that they rely on more than, more than you know, I mean, other rotation even because it's it's that good. And last year it showed its strengths. Uh, hopefully, for the Nationals' sake, uh, Drew Storen figures this out. Um, you know, I'm not sure what you think, Matt, but you know, but they have, but I, I mean, I think, I think they'll be okay. It's, it's spring training. Well, yeah, you know what's interesting? Yeah. Uh, uh, Melky Cabreras, does he still have like by far the highest OPS in all spring training? He did like yeah, last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that tells you all you need to know about that. That pretty much sums up all you need to know about spring training performances. Now, I haven't seen Storm pitch this spring, so I'm not gonna. So maybe there is something wrong. He could be messing around with new grips. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, people go over this all the time. Here, every, I mean, even you know, we want to talk to base, these baseball executives. Uh, at at in, in in Arizona, they all know the spring training stats don't mean much. I mean, not look now, now if Storen's hurt or something, uh, and that's the problem, or if something's changing with his arm slot, yeah, well, uh, or something like that to, to accommodate for some injury. Yeah, that's that, a concern. That's what they're hoping. I mean, I mean, they had to they had to adjust his delivery. You know? Yeah, they had to adjust his. I mean, Storen's a little bit overrated to begin with, uh, because he walks a lot of guys. Uh, and his strikeout rate, his strikeout rate is very good, but it's not like he's a dominating strikeout guy. Yeah. You know, who's like he's not he's not uh, uh, Carlos Marmol. Yeah. Uh, uh, who, you know, who cares? I mean, he's or uh, God, I didn't even realize because uh, I who cares about you know? Uh, sorry, I shouldn't say who cares about it. Uh, Joel Hanrahan, you know, he walks a lot of guys too, but he's sorry, is that right? Yeah. Hanrahan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he strikes out like twelve guys every night innings. Yeah. Who cares? I mean, if a guy, uh, yeah, Storen's not like that, um, so I, he's a little bit overrated. Because uh, uh, you know, look, he's, it's not like he's 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 a, he's, a college, he's not going to get suddenly get better. I mean, I realize he's he's only twenty three. So to control something that could come under control, that sorry, excuse me, that he could get under control. So it'll be interesting to watch. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Uh, P.S. The Nationals is going to suck this year anyway. Who cares? Now that's not fair. It'll be fun to watch Worth and Zimmerman do their thing and uh but yeah honestly i don't think storin is uh tons better than clippard or burnett anyway i can't believe i'm saying that uh-huh. uh burnett i burnett out pitched Storin last season uh basically basically uh, str- uh strikes out about the same number of guys and he avoids walks and uh he gets ground balls so uh honestly maybe they'll figure out Storin shouldn't be their closer um or should be their high level reliever we don't have to get into the closer thing uh, Clippard, I, I never thought he would be good, but man, he is pretty good. Yeah, he really is, and so is Sean Burnett. Yeah. Same type of pitch. Uh, you can make. I think you can make an argument for 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 Clippard being better, but he's a little older, right? Yeah, he's, he's man, twenty six. I think either of those guys, both of them outpitched Storm last year anyway. In terms of uh, they, uh, I never. Sorry, you know, I I remember Clippard when he came up with that Yankees crappy Yankees yeah. pitching prospect, but uh, both. I mean, I'm not saying. In terms of stuff, Storm might have the best stuff when he's on. Yeah, I'll let somebody else be the judge of that. Statistically, <laughs> I'm not sure if he's even one of the top two relievers on the team. I mean, if he, just looking at last year, uh, and obviously, well, yeah, uh, I think he is. Neither, 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 neither Clipper nor Burnett were any good prior to last year. So, uh, uh, but both of them strike out more guys than than Storm. 
and uh, yeah, so it, it is a concern, obviously, because uh, a little bit if he's hurt, but a spring training, I don't care. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Storm will be okay. Uh, he, you know, obviously it's spring training, as you said, uh, you know, but the but the but the scare for the Nationals is mechanically he has not looked that good either, and as you said, maybe he's trying a new pitch or he's you know whatever adjusting his grip that happens we'll see what happens and with that matt uh, we're gonna take a break real quick when we get back we're gonna talk to uh to will carroll of sports illustrated so yeah until then injury expert injury expert <laughs> Podcast now being joined by by Will Carroll of uh, formerly of Baseball Prospectus and also known as the injury expert. Uh, Will, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Excited for this upcoming baseball season. Excited to be part of the team at SI.com now, and uh, should be a great season. I think you know more than any other in a while. Uh, I think it's really going to be competitive. You take a look at teams that we haven't seen in the past. Uh, you know. Uh, Milwaukee coming into the season as something of a favorite, Cincinnati coming into the season as something of a favorite, and teams that, you know, maybe Oakland's back in this. We don't really know what to expect from Texas and San Francisco, who were just in the World Series yesterday, it seems like. So uh, I'm really looking forward to the season. It's only nine days away. It's it's almost here. Yeah, what's up with this Thursday thing? I don't get that. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's really strange. And I think Bud Selig has gone a little has gone a little bit overboard with his uh, with his you know fascination of uh, shortening the season, you know, to not get this you know the season into November. But whatever. I can, I can understand that, but you know, how about uh, the occasional doubleheader? How about yeah, you know yeah, yeah. shortening spring training, which is far too long at this stage? And at what point you know can we do some smart things rather than? It's just Thursday. I don't get that. It used to be, you know, it was always the same day as the national championship in basketball. And you, you would have the day games and then you could go watch the basketball. And, and you know, last year is in Cincinnati for opening day as is tradition. And then and I can ignore that Sunday night game. But then, boom, back to Indianapolis for the for the national championship game. And that was a heck of a day. It's a little it's a little strange. And it's, it, you know, I mean, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny because all of us say, oh, yeah, you know, we're so excited for spring training to start. And after the first game, Giants Dimebacks, I was saying to myself. Well, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the season. You know, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. And the, the thing for me is, you know, going down to spring training this year and seeing the players and, and it's the same for the last as long as I've been doing it. These guys aren't getting into shape. They're not working themselves back. They've been working out all season long at places like Athletes Performance and St. Vincent Sports Performance. And they've been doing these things all along. You know, I, I can remember the story not too long ago. Uh, Tim Linscom coming in on the first day of camp and throwing 91. Okay, he's ready. Let's let's build up his stamina a little bit. Let's you know, occasionally you're figuring out who the fifth starter is, or you're figuring out who's going to be that last man on the bench. But I mean, spring training is just way too yeah. long at this. Stage. Well, let me ask you. I mean, you know, why why exactly? You know, you know, because I can't ask you to explain the whole entire situation because you know every every player is different, but. You know, Mike Stan, uh, you know, he runs out of ground ball and he gets injured. Uh, you know, so, so many players are having their shoulders examined by by someone who we're going to talk about in a little bit, Dr. James Andrews. And, uh, you know, I mean, why is everyone, you know, it, you know, it always seems that spring training is a time where everyone uh, gets injured or, you know, um, gets their injuries uh, discovered. So, you know, so what's going on? As far as just, is it more injuries? Is is that the question? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, why why are why are players either out of shape or why are they, why are there... Well, 
it's got nothing to do with condition in this case. You know, there are a lot of them, you know, we, we've had um, Stanton. Let's just use the Stanton example or Jason, Jason Hayward, two young guys in phenomenal condition. Uh, you know, Hayward has had some back problems before. Uh, Stanton has had a mild leg problem, but it was a calf strain and it was like two years ago. So we got to think those are two separate things. It's just one of those things that happens. You know, there is an element of baseball that, that's random. Uh, people are going to pull hamstrings. People are going to twist their ankle. People are going to run into each other or the wall. Uh, those are the kind of things that we can't prevent. It's just part of the game. We can do everything we can to have them in the best shape possible so that we can reduce the number of these, but we're never going to eliminate them. Uh, you know, I think at best when it comes to what I call traumatic injuries, the things that just happen, um, we can, we can reduce them by 10%, 20%, and we can reduce the time they lose from it by 10%, 20% by having them ready for that. But we're never going to be able to get it, you know, completely gone. When we're talking about something more serious, when we're like something like the Jake Peavy situation, which isn't actually that serious, but you know, it's certainly concerning. Uh, is that because he wasn't throwing for six months essentially, and now he's working his way back? And, and really, it's it's a matter of getting back to throwing. You know, if, if any pitcher was off for that long, with surgery or not, it's likely that he's going to have some inflammation. He's going to be working back into it. Uh, or is it a mechanical problem? Is it something that's changed in that shoulder uh, after? what's nearly unprecedented surgery he wasn't the first, but he's among the first five and certainly the first top level pitcher to have this. Uh, is that the cause? So we don't know. With something like that, mm-hmm. again, I don't know if we can prevent it because we don't know what we're really looking for. Uh, certainly Herm Schneider and Don Cooper and, and all the doctors and, and physical therapists that work on him are watching him closely. And certainly when it's something as simple as rotator cuff tendonitis, uh, that tells you they were watching very, very closely and hopefully caught this thing early. So uh, in those situations, I don't think, again, it's not conditioning. It's it's one of those things that we have to watch and make sure that it doesn't become something worse. If, if Jake Peavy misses 15 days, let's call it two starts mm-hmm. uh, for uh, this rotator cuff tendonitis episode, the Sox are happy because they honestly, when this when he first detached his lat, they weren't expecting him to come back. They were thinking maybe they get him back by the All-Star break, and they would they would have been okay with that, uh, assuming he was still Jake Peavy. And then it was like, maybe he'll be back in May. Maybe he'll be back at opening day. And all along they've been waiting. Everything's gone right. Uh, that it's something as simple and as seemingly clean as this that can be easily corrected with uh, you know anti-inflammatories. Uh, that's pretty darn good. So I, I don't think it's more. I think that we're catching things earlier. Mm-hmm. I think, especially when it comes to these big, big dollar players, they, they're doing everything but wrapping them in bubble wrap. Uh, we saw with Johnny Cueto, um, they, they'd go as far as sending him back to Cincinnati to make sure he was getting standardized care so that, that Dr. Kremchak was going to see him uh, as soon as possible. And all along the way, if this turned out to be something more serious, um, so it's a lot of that. I don't think there's actually any more injuries today. Uh, the only thing that I think has in- increased injuries is the fact that uh, nobody's rubbing some dirt on it and going back out there and blowing out their arm. I heard, I think it was Jim Cat, uh, was on XM a couple months ago, and I'm driving around, I'm, I'm listening, and he talked about blowing out his elbow uh, and pitching through it. This would never happen today. I mean, if he, I don't think he blew it out. I think he hurt it. I think it was a, a severe sprain, but uh, he never needed Tommy John surgery. And he was in an era, uh, not, not that point, but very close after where they could have done it. And to this day, he hasn't had it. I actually checked. Um, 
it's a situation where th- would they have shut him down? Could they have fixed him there? Would he would he have been any better? I don't know. But you know, it, essentially for six months, uh, he wasn't pitching um, and came back from what sounded like uh, a pretty moderate elbow sprain. Uh, and that's certainly nothing you want, but guys have come back from it. Then again, look at somebody like Sandy Koufax, who Dr. Job said, you know, if, if I had thought of Tommy John surgery 10 years earlier, Sandy Koufax could have had another five or six years of pitching and God knows what that would have caused. Yeah. Well, okay. You, you know, well, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, first I want to ask you a question about the off season. Um, and then I want to ask you about, you know, about what you do for Sports Illustrated. But first, I mean, is it is it possible? You know, it, it, it's really a two part question because I'm not exactly sure. Um, obviously, you know, uh, Don Cooper, you know, is, you know, using JP as an example, the whole White Sox organization, I want to keep track of his progression during the offseason. And they want to, you know, make sure that he's, you know, on pace to be ready for spring training. And, you know, it is, you know, I mean, our 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 teams, um, you know, keeping an eye on all their pitchers, because obviously, you know, no one had any clue that Adam Wainwright would, uh, would go down with Tommy John's, you know, that he would need Tommy John surgery. So how does, how does a team go well, about it in the off season? Well, first off, they're watching him as much as possible. And for Adam Wainwright, there wasn't a whole lot to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's not like he was pitching um, teams during the off season. They're in constant con constants kind of uh, overstating it. They, they're in regular contact with all their players, especially somebody like Wainwright who ended last season with an elbow problem. This wasn't unexpected. I don't think they knew it was about to happen, but really Wainwright's been pitching on borrowed time for a while. He had uh, a sprain in, in high school that they knew about. Uh, he had a pretty severe sprain right after he came over. I want to say it was 2004 uh, off the top of my head, I could be wrong about the date. It, w- it was right after the Cardinals got him. He was in Memphis and pretty much lost the entire season. Uh, and then he had it a- again at the end of last season where they they were definitely concerned about the integrity of the ligament. And a lot of people said, oh, well, if it was a problem in 2004, why didn't they just go ahead and do Tommy John surgery at that point? Well, they could have. Uh, they didn't think it was necessary. And it's certainly hard to argue with it because the guy was pretty good between now and then. Um, on the other hand, what if he'd had it then? gone another six years and boom, blown it out again, which is entirely possible. We've seen that uh, with a number of pitchers that have needed a second Tommy John surgery, especially after that five year, uh, what I call the honeymoon period where the, the, the tendon that is transplanted in actually becomes a ligament. Um, They're watching, they're, they're talking to them. In a lot of cases, guys are, you know, they live in Arizona or Florida and they're around the complex. Uh, They'll have, not mini camps in many situations, but they'll get together. Uh, these guys all talk and they know what's going on. But the other thing is they're not playing baseball for the most part. They're, I mean, guys down in the winter leagues, they're, they're talking to the trainers down there. They're talking to the coaches and you can certainly uh, figure out what they're doing. But for Adam Wainwright, he was doing what you and I do. He's sitting around the house. He's going to the grocery store. He's playing with the kids. He, he's, you know, living a, a relatively normal life. There was very little in the way of, you know, serious workouts. He was playing catch. He was working out, but you know, it, it wasn't anything that uh, they could have watched and said, "Oh, there it goes." That that's the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just, it was going to break at some point, and it broke now. Yeah. So there's no, you know, so there's nothing in the future that teams can look at this and say, "Well, you know, since obviously since this guy didn't throw, but you know, we didn't even keep an eye on him, and we didn't even ask him to throw." So is there any? You know, in the future, next offseason, the offseason after, there's a lot of teams who, you know, who obviously have a pitch count on their young pitchers. Is, is, there, is there anything else that they can do um, while they're not there? You know? you know, well, not so much that. I mean, I think in the offseason, what you want the guy 
rest and recover and get ready for the next season. What teams don't do for the most part is do any sort of biomechanical baseline. There are some teams that'll take an MRI. There are some teams that'll, that'll do a little more advanced imaging to try to know exactly what's going on inside somebody's shoulder, inside their elbow. And, you know, if, if they have back problems, they'll take a look at their back. Um, but very few do the kind of biomechanical testing that tells you what kind of forces their arm is, is creating. You know, we know uh, what kind of forces snap a UCL, the, the ligament that we, we all refer to as the Tommy John ligament. We know what kind of forces shear a labrum. Um, we know more about pitching mechanics. And, and there was a lot of talk with, with Steven Strasberg on that. Tom Verducci did a great article explaining what one of those possible things are. But, you know, the, the, the Nats came out and spent, what was it, $15 million to get Strasburg yeah. on their team? And yet they didn't spend $10,000 to send the guy to ASMI down in Birmingham and have a biomechanical study that would say, okay, his elbow is within limits. His shoulder is within limits. They didn't do that. There are only three teams, maybe as many as six uh, at some level, that are going out there and doing these kind of measurements. It's not that you necessarily want to change anything, but you know. You have a guy, let's say you're, uh, you know, again, we'll use the Nats. Let's say you're bringing up uh, Strasburg and you know that his elbow is a little overtaxed. Do you want to watch his pitch count? Do you want to make sure his mechanics are in line? Do you want to make sure he doesn't get fatigued in the extreme situation? Do you want to try to work on those mechanics? Absolutely. But now, you know, um, you know, if you've got uh, a minor league prospect who's really, really good, but his mechanics are terrible. um or that he has an injury history that, that factors in. Uh, a guy that comes to mind for that is Texas's Tanner Shepers, yeah. a guy who had known issues and they drafted him anyway, yeah. saying, well, we think we can hold him together. Um, if you can do a biomechanical study on him and say, oh, the shoulder's really not as bad as we thought, or it is as bad as we thought, but he's effective, so let's rush him through the system the way the Reds did with uh, B.J. Ryan back in the day, uh, there's certainly a value to that. Let's say you had um, you know, some Baseball America number nine prospect and your study shows this elbow is going to blow anytime. He's a ticking time bomb. We don't know which pitch it's going to be. Then that's knowledge you can use, and maybe you can trade him and turn him into a player that's not going to blow up so, quite so quickly. On the other side, there's a lot of things we don't know. Even with those biomechanical measurements, um, we don't know which pitch it's going to be where the guy blows up. There, there are guys, Felix Hernandez has mechanical yeah. issues. Uh, everything that they said about Steven Strasburg is true for him. Uh, plus he has that head tick that I, I just have no idea how he does it, but he does it. If I was a pitching coach uh, there, there's no way I would change anything that Felix Hernandez is doing because of the risk that I'd screw him up. Uh, and we see that a lot. Uh, that, that, you know, do you want to be the guy that screws up Felix Hernandez that takes a Cy Young winner and says, oh, we got to change your mechanics. All these guys that tweak people and, and say, you, you know, there's one true way to throw. Uh, there's not. Uh, we've learned. Yeah. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we figured that out 20 years ago, and then we thought we had a system that was pretty close, and then we realized, no, we, we don't. We need data, and now we're you know, at the start of the data age where we can start to put those together. And I think the, the fact that more teams aren't doing that, uh, it, it's, it's the start of an era. Um, and, you know, 15 years from now, when we, ha we have that data, when MLB figures out, you know, biomechanics FX, that will pop up on the screen and say, oh, that pitch was too much force on the elbow. Hey, then, then we really got something we can work with. Wait, so, so let's just backtrack for a sec. So you were talking a little bit ago about, about the about the Birmingham uh, biomechanics study, right? And 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that exactly? With uh, Birmingham, uh, ASMI, the American Sports Medicine Institute, Dr. Glenn Fleissig has a facility down That's there. James Andrews, they, right? Yeah, um, it's connected. Uh, actually, Andrews a uh, number of times uh, has has said, you know, his legacy uh, is to eliminate himself. He wants to never have to do Tommy John surgery again. Uh, he says his greatest legacy would be to make himself redundant. And one of the things he did, both uh, in Birmingham and at his new facility in Pensacola, well, near Pensacola, Florida, um, it's actually Gulf Breeze. The city of Gulf Breeze always calls when I say <laughs> Pensacola. Um, what he tried to do uh, initially, I'll just talk about ASMI so I don't confuse anybody, okay. is set up a facility where, A, he could train surgeons to do the same sorts of things he did that have come out of there, whether it's Dr. Tim Gremchek, who is a fellow there, or Keith Meister, who's with the Rangers. I think it's about 12 team doctors right now wow. are ASMI fellows. Uh, really, almost all baseball and football doctors at this stage come from one of two places, which is either ASMI or the Curlin Job Clinic, which also has a fellowship program for orthopedics. Um, he also set up uh, Glenn Fleissig, who's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. He, he's kind of the mad scientist of baseball. And uh, he has a biomechanics lab, which is I'm sure you've seen it like when they're they're putting actors in Avatar and they, they put you know the, the green screen and yeah. the little reflective balls and lasers <laughs> shooting everywhere. And, and they do this for video games as well. Um, basically it constructs it and you can figure out exactly how fast is, is the arm rotating, how much force is they are they putting out. They, you can put force plates down on the mound and see how much is he pushing off. And you can put all these together and the computer does a calculation and it, it recreates a pitching motion and tells you what all is going on. It, it's not difficult to do. It's a little time consuming because the, the, the mechanics are pretty expensive. Uh, the cameras and the computers and the engineers and having a guy to read all that. But on the other hand, uh, I actually did an article for Wired magazine, uh, Wired.com, back in, I want to say November, when the, the Microsoft Connect came out. You've seen that yeah. little uh, thing for Xbox. It's not nearly as good as yeah. the, the million-dollar facilities at places like ASMI, um, but you can actually use that for biomechanical wow. uh, things. Um, there are hackers that have gone in there and figured out how to read it, and so conceivably Microsoft could put out software that would, you know, you, you get your pitcher to stand in front of the connect, make 10 pitches, and you could get a, you know, not a great, but a reasonable biomechanical read from so it. So basically all of, all of the pitchers in baseball should be playing Xbox right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really should. And, you know, if we could get that out there, you know, for, for MLB pitchers, obviously I would say that, you know, there's not a pitcher out there that isn't worth a, you know, couple thousand dollar investment to send them down to one of these facilities. There are a couple teams that have their own. Um, and in that case, there are some teams, I know there's one team that's doing every pitcher they have. So they know coming into the organization, what he's doing, if they make a change to, to his mechanics, if he, you know, has been working out, uh, or at the end of the season, if they're worried about his fatigue, if he's coming back through surgery, they can do it anytime they want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for other teams, uh, you know, in back as far as when was Moneyball 2003, two or 2003. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they talked about it then that Oakland was sending pitchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this isn't new technology. I mean, it's gotten better since then. It's it's constantly iterating. But what we think about is not the the uh, I think it was ninety four pitchers from Major League Baseball last year that went and had Tommy John surgery. It's the seven hundred that went from uh, high school and college. Yeah. Those are the ones that worry me. 
you know, it's funny. Well, because everyone on Twitter, you know, makes fun of James Andrews, and they, you know, they say, uh, you know, uh, people go there and they come back, you know, without good news. Can you talk a little bit about the process of of a of a player of, of a pitcher or, or a player, uh, for that matter? You know, Michael Veal's had Tommy John surgery uh, recently. Xavier Nady, players, uh, you know, they they find out the news, um, mm-hmm. and you know, are they going to have to have Tommy John surgery, or you know, that they're going to need some you know some type of surgery? Because not every surgery that James Andrews performs is Tommy John. I mean. How does the whole process work? And you know, you know, you know, because I don't, I don't really, per, you know, personally, I don't know, but I don't think that every single player comes out of James Andrews' office, you know, crying or feeling upset that there's no, no good news. Um, what is it like to, you know, to, you know, to go to James Andrews and 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 have your and have your arm, um, you know, examined and and everything like that? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's actually exactly the opposite. I mean, we've all been to doctors, um, and it's not dissimilar you know major league baseball players will in almost all cases will have already been talking to their team doctor that something has gone wrong they've likely had the mri in their hometown or you know if they're on the road they'll have it there uh they'll talk to that team's doctor because team doctors don't tend to travel with teams Mm -hmm. and so they'll you know whoever the home team is the doctor's there and they'll talk to them they have you know the orthopedic specialists or you know if you ever get a team's full list of doctors there's a specialist for everything uh it's it's almost like an insurance company guide uh, they're, they're, you know, you don't think about needing an ophthalmologist, but contact lenses are a big part of baseball. So they, they'll have this. Uh, when it comes to it, they'll request the second opinion in most cases, or the team will say, hey, let's just send him to Andrews uh, or, or one of the other specialists. I don't yeah. want to slight anybody from Neil Elitrash or uh, Lou Yoko yeah, or Jim Gremchak yeah. or Dave Alchek, any of those great doctors. But yeah. You know, you go down, you, you schedule the appointment with Andrews, you go into Birmingham. Uh, he's got a phenomenal facility there at St. Vincent's. Uh, you walk in, and, and it's just like any other doctor's office. Yeah. You're sitting in a waiting room. Yeah. The thing that is different is that Jim, he's a rock star. He is the top level of surgeons. Because, and because of that, these guys who are at the top level of sports – kind of have a connection. They get it. He's the guy they've all heard about. So they have an immediate confidence. And he has this manner. I mean, not a lot of people understand, you know, Jim Andrews' background. He he, he grew up in Louisiana. He was a, a SEC champion pole vaulter. He, he was a real athlete at, at times. But he's also, you know, he's an older guy. He talks real slow. He's got a deep Southern accent and kind of sounds like Foghorn Leghorn when he's tired. Um, <laughs> you, you really don't expect that. But there's an immediate connection between athletes and him that's, that's really special. And, and you see it occasionally. I mean, Neil Elitrash is like a movie star and he comes in and just blows people away in most situations. And they're, they're like, Oh yeah, this is the guy I want. Uh, with Jim, it's more of a connection thing, but he examines them. He says, either you're going to need surgery mm-hmm. and they, they schedule that. And it's pretty much like any other surgery, just it's Jim doing it. Um, or, in a lot of cases, and I mean a lot of cases, I, I, I would venture to say a majority of cases, he's going to tell them, no, you don't need surgery yet. Wow. Or you, you, your doctor was right. Do this. Um, I can remember it was, um, gosh, five, four or five years ago. Octavio Dotel was convinced he needed Tommy John surgery. And he went to, I think it was eight different doctors on his own dime and, and was just like, nope, I don't like that opinion. He, I mean, he was very literally doctor shopping. And in the end... Uh, one of the doctors just said, screw it. If you want it that bad, we'll do it. And he did. And here he is back. I don't think it did him anything, any favors, but he, he was bound and determined. 
Um, we don't see that in most cases. Uh, AJ Burnett for a while uh, was calling Jim uh, pretty regularly, and Jim basically just had to say, you're okay. Yeah. We look at the MRI. Everything's fine. He was like a security blanket. Um, and, and I think it's a value to teams to send them down there. And, and Jim says, no, you're fine. And, and a team doctor can say, you're fine. The trainer can say, you're fine. And then Jim says it, and suddenly they go, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And, and it, it's really amazing to see. So, so does it ever happen that a player – you know, um, uh, goes to uh, goes to James Andrews, and uh, and he says, uh, you know, no, uh, no, you don't need surgery. And then, you know, Octavio Dattel or, or, or whoever it was uh, goes to another doctor. I mean, is 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 James Andrews? Is he the, you know, is he the top of the is he the top of the list? Is he is he is he is he the guy who knows the most? Is he the guy who? I don't know that you can say he knows the most. Well, I mean, I mean yeah, he, he's certainly one of the most well-respected. I think, you know, I did an article last year saying the top ten surgeons, and, and it was really more if you made a list. Um, and I, I actually, this is how I pose the question to people. I was like, if you made a list of guys you would send your own child to for an athletic injury, who would be the guys? Yeah. And they, they, you know, it's not that one's better than another. I mean, there are knee guys, there are ankle guys, there are shoulder guys, there are, there are elbow guys. And, and, you know, there are a lot of different guys. Um, you know, if, if I had an ankle injury, uh, I'd go to Phil Kwong, who's out at Curlin Jope. He's one of the best in the world in dealing with Kendris Morales. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if uh, there was a knee, uh, Tom Brady could have gone anywhere, and, and he went to Neil Elitrosh. If I was going to have Tommy John surgery, there's two or three guys, but it, it would probably be Jim, just because he's Jim and there's that confidence level. But it's not that he knows more. It's just, you know, if you were ranking the top ten pitchers, they're not the same. You know, Tim Linscomb is not CC Sabathia is not Cliff Lee, but they're all pretty darn good. And it's the same with doctors. Uh, do people, I mean, like do regular people just go to, uh, to James Andrews if they have an arm problem or is he, you know, yeah, you can, yeah. you can, I mean, you, you, uh, you know, normal insurance. He, he's a doctor for everybody. Yeah. You know, uh, honestly, the, the biggest thing, uh, that he sees are, are high school athletes and college athletes. Uh, <laughs> the most amazing thing about Jim Andrews uh, is that he is the team physician for the Alabama Crimson Tide, for all their athletics. Wow. He's also the team doctor for the Auburn Tigers. And there could not be more bitter rivals in the entire world. Uh, these are two teams. That, I mean, they killed their trees there at Auburn this year. Wow. <laughs> and that one guy could be the team doctor for both. He actually will walk from one sideline to the other. And as he's walking at the end zone, one of his assistants will hand him the other hat. So when he's on the Alabama sideline, he's got an Alabama hat. As he crosses over, he gets the Auburn hat. He's also the team doctor for the Washington Redskins, uh, for uh, Troy. Uh, God, I forget what Troy is. I think that they're not the Gamecocks. That's Jacksonville That's, State. Yeah. Uh, he's the team doctor for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, the guy, uh, he has to have his own private plane. Otherwise, wow. he'd never sleep. Wow. So basically what you're saying is he's too busy to join me on my podcast for an interview. <laughs> you know, he hates doing interviews. I I had him on my old show a couple times, but I actually had to go to him to get it done. So, uh, wow. yeah, he's he's a very busy guy and a very impressive guy. Well, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your work because, you know, obviously, obviously um, you're well respected when it comes to this type of stuff, injuries. And, and, you, uh, and you and you started, I think it was like eight years or seven years at uh, BP, right? And now you're – No, I actually started in 2002 on my own. Um, it was – it started as, a, as an email list and, and – um, three people. Uh, I sent it to three people one day in April and uh, it grew from there, mostly because guys like uh, Peter Gammons, mm -hmm. uh, uh, every time I see Peter, I want to hand him money because yeah. 
uh, I wouldn't be around. I, I finally met Rob Nyer uh, a, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he great guy. Early, absolutely. Yeah. And he was one of the early influences on me and uh, really helped me make it. So uh, went to baseball prospectus. Uh, Gary Huckabee asked me to join back in 2003. Mm-hmm. I was there for eight years yeah. and now, now at SI.com. And, and the work you do at SI.com is not just injuries but also performance-enhancing drugs. Well, that that was part of it. Um, you know, it was one of those situations where you know the whole steroid era back in two thousand four was was certainly a lot of people were talking about it, whether it was Barry Bonds or someone else. And gosh, it tells you how long that story's been going yeah. on. Um, it was just one of those things. People kept coming to me and asking questions: Is are steroids hurting people? Are they helping players? And it was something I literally didn't know enough about, and I couldn't find anything. I had a publisher that kept saying, let's write a steroid book. Let's write a steroid book. And I was like, no, I don't want to write a steroid book. So when I finally did write a steroids book, uh, the first sentence in the book is, I did not want to write this book, which is very true. Um, yeah, so it, it just became part of my beat. I mean, pitching mechanics wasn't something that I came into this knowing about implicitly. It wasn't even something I ever thought I'd write about. But for a while there, it was gosh one of my main focuses wow concussion same thing i never would have thought that you know we'd be changing the game of football mm-hmm. uh but but uh things that i wrote and certainly the coverage that alan schwartz uh, put out uh, he, he deserves the pulitzer for it if not more but he's he's really really changed the game and saved lives so so is there any is there anything in particular that you know that you're looking forward to for the future in terms of your uh, of your expertise and and uh, and your knowledge of injuries and whatnot no, no. You know, I'm honestly, it's it's not that I'm the expert. I mean, the guys who are the experts are the people I talk to. I, I'm lucky enough to tell the story of what these athletic trainers do and what these physical therapists do and what these surgeons do and what the team doctors go through and, and all the things that these people are putting together and getting out there. Uh, they're putting in, you know, 20, 28 two-hour days at times. Uh, they're living there. They're missing their families. Uh, they're not getting paid very much. At the minor league levels, they're getting paid next to nothing. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not that I'm doing it. I'm, I'm just following the stories and being able to tell their stories. If I can show people what they do and how important health is, uh, you know, I, I agonized over this uh, doing my first column at SI on baseball. Uh, I, there are only two ways to win at baseball or really any sport, put a lot of talent on the field and then keep it there. Yeah. And it's that second part that I think people have ignored. We've said, you know, players are replaceable. In the NFL, players are replaceable. In baseball, to some level, players are replaceable. But if we could just keep them out there, uh, I mean, imagine uh, one out of every nine pitchers in baseball, uh, or starters at least, and this is 2009 figures. I'm not sure yeah. exactly what it was for 2010. But one out of nine had had Tommy John surgery. Imagine if it didn't exist. Imagine if, you know, one, you know, 11% of baseball pitchers just vanished and that we had to bring up guys from AAA. The game wouldn't be as good. Now, what if we could lower that down? What if we could get everybody back on the field? What if shoulder surgery ends up being in 10 years what Tommy John surgery is today? It would be amazing what that could do for the game. And if we can prevent it altogether, that's even better. So is there, you know, is there is there a big difference between pitchers back in the 70s and 60s uh, prior to Tommy John surgery, even the 80s, I think? Well, no, I'm not sure about the 80s, but, and, and you know, pitchers now, I mean, how, how is the, how does it, how does it contrast uh, the difference? Uh, I, don't, I don't think it does. I think I think what we've seen is, is a change in the batters. I think we've changed, seen a change away from you know these giant pitch count games because we realized it wasn't very good for pitchers, and because they were going 100% all the time. 
You know, yeah. if, if you think back to, to not too far back, Ozzie Smith, uh, that go crazy folks home run that he hit off the Dodgers in, gosh, 82, 83 there somewhere. Um, the reason uh, Jack Buck said that was because that was his only home run on the year. Nobody expected it. And it, you know, won the series for him. Uh, if you go back even further, uh, you know, Pee Wee Reese did not hit a lot of home runs. Uh, Mario Mendoza, who was who saddled with the, the Mendoza line, uh, was an absolutely slick fielding shortstop. They just didn't hit that much. And every team had a guy like that. If you go back and look at all-star shortstops in the 70s and 80s, up until Cal Ripken, who completely changed yeah. him, um, it, it, there were guys who pitchers could just say, eh, here. And if you can hit that, great. What's the worst you can do? Uh, you know, you, you might slap a single to the other way. Uh, now... If you take a look at shortstops, even even the little guys, uh, other than you know maybe Elvis Andrews and a, uh, yeah. a couple others, all these guys are power threats. They can put runs on the board like that, and, and for that, pitchers can't take a batter off. They can't just lob one up there, and they're they're so reluctant to do it because, gosh, the ball just seems to fly further. We'll see whether or not the changes have come. It seemed in spring training everybody was focusing more on speed, and I don't know whether there's going to be a change in the game, and suddenly we're going to have to see defensive catchers again or what we're going to see. Um, but it's always interesting to see that give and take and how a game changes. Yeah. Well, uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you a couple of questions about pitch count. And, you know, it's, it's a big thing in baseball now. Everyone talks about it, but I fear that a lot of people don't, you know, don't know the uh, the whole story of the pitch count. They don't know the whole situation fully. So, can you talk a little bit about about how the pitch count benefits or does not benefit pitchers in general, and and everything that you know, and, and not everything, but you know, something's behind the pitch count. Yeah. Do you know where the number hundred came from? I do not. Yeah, it's actually Paul Richard, the the old manager and general manager who had been around for years, uh, figured out the, that a hundred was the number where he, his pitchers were actually falling behind. Now he he didn't really do a ton of studies in quantifying it, but he liked the number hundred because people could remember it. Um, that's really all it was, yeah. and it stuck because we like round numbers. Um, I recently did an article trying to come up with uh, what what a friend of mine uh, called the sabermetric Mendoza line. And in talking to people, everybody, without me even suggesting it, fixated on round numbers. Wow. And, and I mean, we always do that. You know, it, it, how many quick, how many home runs did Barry Bonds hit? 762. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if, if we say 500, 600, you know, Willie Mays hit 600 something. Yeah. Wow, but that's really we, we know we know 600 is the number we think of 700 as being the number that's that's close so 100 is just a nice easy number and then keith wolner and randy jazerly did a study uh that uh showed that 100 really did start to be that wall i think the problem with pitch counts is that they're not individualized 100 pitches for one pitcher it's not 100 pitches for another pitcher 100 pitchers for one pitcher in one game is not 100 pitches for the, you know they're just not equal uh, if it's a tough game, if it's a hot day, if they didn't sleep well the night before, there's a billion different things that go into it. What we're really trying to do is measure fatigue, and we don't have a good way of doing that. Earl Weaver famously said, I don't have to count. The hitters will tell me when he's tired. And I think there's really something to that. If we know when they're tired, we can pull them and get them out of there before they're A, making bad pitches, and B, struggling, changing their mechanics, putting too much force on their shoulder or on their elbow, and hurting themselves. And, and that's really what we want to do. I think pitch count in isolation 
isn't that helpful. It's better than nothing. But, it, it, you know, the, the, at the major league level, at least, it's so much better. Back in 2004, when I, I wrote Saving the Pitcher, one of the things I tried to do was come up with a system that was really technical and it was fixated on velocity. And, and we we're going through these things, trying to figure out exactly how much velocity a player could lose before they became uh, ineffective and you needed to pull them. And so... It, had radar guns and we had scouts out there uh, that were helping with this and they were trying to determine it. And then we took a bunch of baseball moms, you know, Mm -hmm. not trained at all, just moms of little leaguers and they could watch and tell you almost better than the scouts could. Oh, Johnny's tired. And if, if it's really that simple, do we have to make it so complicated? Do we need some crazy metric with a cube in it? Uh, I, I really don't think so. I think it comes down to a common sense and B Forgetting the proxy effect, at the major league level at least, we can directly measure fatigue, and there are some teams that are starting to get to that. Yeah, and you know, I was this is something I wanted to I wanted to tell you. I was talking to Kevin Goldstein of Baseball Perspectives last night, and you know, I was I was I asked him, well, you know, because because you know, I'm not sure how how people uh, you know view this is that a pitcher, you know, throughout his throughout his uh, the five day rotation, um, he ha- he obviously has his you know, let's say you know, let's just say it's an average of 80 to 100 pitches, uh, you know, uh, upper start, but you know, th- uh, but the pitcher throws eight warmer pitches up between innings, and he throws. Yeah, those don't count. Well, yeah, yeah, but they still. I mean, but they still count. Uh, you know, for his arm. I've... No, no, they really don't. There was uh, Frank Job actually back in the, the I think it was the early 80s did a study on that and as long as you don't throw 75% of your maximum, the none of the force transfers to the ligament, so they really don't count. And what about and what about uh. Warren pitches up, uh, sorry, before the game and uh, side sessions. Those certainly count. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I want to ask you. Yeah, um, you know, warm up pitches don't worry me. Some pitchers are, you know, before a game they're just going touch and feel. So it, it depends on the pitcher. But you know, there are pitchers out there that would throw a hundred pitches uh, warming up. Do those count? do we start counting at one? Do we start counting at 101 when they go into the game? Uh, that's, that's why I don't like proxies. I think we need to have more direct measurements, uh, whether that's side sessions, whether that's anything, you know, can, we ought to be able to say at any given point, how, how effective isn't the right word. You know, theoretically a pitcher should come into the game at a hundred percent and leave it at, you know, probably 30%. Um, cause you know, no guy can't throw the next pitch. He always can. and just wouldn't be very effective. Mm-hmm. It, you know, is the next day, is he at 50? The day after that, is he at 75%? We, today we have no idea. Teams literally have no idea. You can go out and throw a long toss. Uh, you can go out and have a side session. You can have a pen session. You can throw batting practice, things like that. But we don't know. And until we can get direct measurements on fatigue, we're not going to know. And, and I think that's really, really the next big frontier. This is the last thing I want to ask you. I mean, and obviously this leads into this next question. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's been a lot of stats that have come out recently, uh, you know, pitch effects, um, all these stats are that, are that measure a pitcher, uh, you know, uh, what he does, but not so much, obviously, as you said before, there's no way yet uh, to measure, um, you know, a pitcher's a pitcher's arm in general and, and his and his you know fatigue and whatnot. Um, is there any is there any point? I mean, well, not so much. Is there any point? But is there any hope that you know that managers in the in the near future or any or anybody you know in the near future will uh will figure out you know that that, that the pitch count is is obviously uh well not you know maybe not useless but it's, yeah. it's you know it's not it's not as uh as clear of a system 
and as good of a system as managers had had a, had you know um, realized because you know because the truth is you know it just seems like um, the only people who, who you know first of all the only people who are in charge of the pitch counts are the people involved um, you know um, in the organization the people who who are in charge of that pitcher you know mm-hmm. so you know so is there any hope that the pitch count will be uh, dissolved and that you know people will find out that you know as you said that it's not as clear and it doesn't work uh, you know to the fullest of uh, advantage. Well, I think I think it's always going to be on the the scoreboard, at least for a, for a while. You know, um, it, it's one of those things that people in the stand can see. Um, you know, but I do think there's better direct mes- uh, direct methods uh, to measure that fatigue. And I think at some point, I, I don't think pitch FX is going to be it. And I, Josh Kalk did some work a, a couple of years ago and got the yeah. notice of the Rays and is working there. Uh, Eric Seidman did some great work on, on it as well. Um, I, I just don't have a lot of confidence in pitch FX to being anything more than a toy at this stage. I think it's very, very interesting, but I haven't seen anything groundbreaking from it. Uh, you know, I see a lot of people, you know, playing with quarter inch adjustments and, and stuff. I think it, it's, it's great for visualizing baseball. I think it's, it's amazingly interesting to see, but I, as yet, I haven't seen anybody do anything groundbreaking with it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for pitch or not pitch of uh, field effects, uh, I'm curious to see what hit effects can do. Um, you know, the, I think more data is always going to be good, mm. but I think it's going to take, uh, it's going to be the doctors. It's going to be the trainers and the pitching coaches that with more direct measures of fatigue that are going to have a control. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see that from the outside too much. Yeah. Well, we'll hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully um, uh, if I do ever get James Andrews on my podcast, uh, you'll come back and join us with him. Uh, or even before that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's great talking to you. I actually learned. I mean, I learned so much, and um, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. And uh, thanks so much, Will. Hey, thanks a lot. And uh, be sure to read me this year, uh, SI every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and as needed otherwise. All right. Thanks, Will. Thanks, guys. Fangrass, Dave Cameron. Dave, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. You know, I want to talk a little bit about Fangrass in general. And you know, uh, you know, uh, I used to write at BP, used to write at, at Baseball America, and you now write for Fangrass and as well as ESPN and the Wall Street Journal. You know, I'll, I want to know, uh, Dave. You know, what in your opinion uh, makes Fangrass so unique? Well, I think the thing that we uh, really try and do is be a conversation starter. So, you know, a lot of the sabermetric sites over the last few years have written longer feature-type articles that are two, 3,000 words and really try to reach a conclusion. And I think what we've found is that what people really want to do is have conversations about topics. So we've kind of shifted the model a little bit where, you know, our posts are a bit shorter. We don't necessarily have to feel like we have to come to a strong conclusion where we've answered the question that we set out at the beginning of the post. Sometimes it's okay to just throw out an idea, like the Dave Rigetti home run for fly ball giants thing. We did like six or seven posts on over the winter, and we still don't have an answer to it. We don't really know why the Giants pitchers don't give up homers. Um, you know, it might be park effects, it might be something else. But we were able to tease out a lot of different aspects of it over the course of a bunch of different posts and kind of have a conversation with the readers and Giants fans and people who are interested in that kind of analysis. And so I think, you know, Fangrass is one place where people know that they can come and be part of the conversation. 
Yeah. And you know, and you know, a lot of you know something that a lot of people want to get mixed up is you know, you know, sabermetrics is not so much advanced stats, but people at Fangraphs, you know, obviously Fangraphs hosts um, some of the best advanced stats around. I mean, is uh, is it is it required or is it you know is it a goal that you guys uh, use advanced stats or is it, you know because sabermetrics? I'm pretty sure Bill James has said that sabermetrics are just a new way of looking at baseball, right? Yeah, right. I don't, I don't think the numbers themselves are actually all that important. I was having a conversation with Andrew Baggerly, who's the San Francisco beat writer, uh, over the weekend. I was actually in the Giants clubhouse to talk to Rigetti about the homer to fly ball stuff. And I was talking with Baggerly, and he mentioned that, you know, he's barely to the point where he can use OPS in a column without having to spell out on base plus slugging. And so he knows there's no way he's going to be able to get an XSIP or a WOBA in there. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, so he was kind of apologizing for not using our stats almost. And I told him that I didn't really care if he used our stats. The idea was really to get the concepts across. So if he can talk about why Andres Torres is a really good player because he's a player up the middle who's uh, adding value on both sides of the plate, you can do that without ever quoting war, UZR, you know, any of these advanced metrics. We're really more about trying to get these concepts across and helping people understand uh, how the game works and what wins and what doesn't win and some of these cliches that might not hold true. It's way more about the ideas than it is about the numbers. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people sometimes, uh, you know, get uh, get things mixed up that you know maybe fan graphs or you know is just for advanced stats. It's really not true. I mean, uh, do you and your writers try to set a precedent for just uh, you know baseball, you know, making it simpler but actually proving a point at the same time? Yeah, I think one of the things that we're trying to do is kind of bridge that gap between people who really love baseball but might not read something a little bit more hardcore. They're not going to look at a regression analysis. They don't really care about advanced math, but they do like baseball, and they like talking about baseball, and they like understanding which players are better than other players or you know which pitchers are going to do well or they have a fantasy team or whatever it is. They have an interest in baseball, but they don't have an interest in the nerdery side of things. Right. So we try and maybe bring them some conclusions from the nerdery side of things without actually making them getting gross in that side themselves. Mm-hmm. And just you know, I mean, you know, just uh, um, from a baseball perspective, because obviously, you know, as I said before, um, I used to write for BP Baseball America. Uh, what makes Fangraphs, you know, aside from the content, uh, um, what makes it more different than those uh, sites? Well, it's free, so I guess that's one uh, one right. aspect. Of, you know, we have access to a lot of different uh, people who don't have to pay to read the stuff. And you know, I think that there is something to be said for having content that can be shared, especially in this new age of social media with Twitter and Facebook and mm-hmm. a lot of conversations not necessarily happening on the site. I mean, we see every day links being passed around Twitter and people having discussions about the articles we wrote, even if they're not commenting on fan graphs. And so I think the fact that, you know, our content is available to everyone, it can be shared, it can be passed around uh, a broadcaster who might not be a hardcore sabermetrician, it might end up in his hands, he might read it. Uh, I think the fact that it's available to a wide range of people makes it appealing and, you know, can really um, touch some corners and maybe something behind a paywall wouldn't touch. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, and, and aside from Fangraphs itself, there's Rotographs, which is fantasy, and there's Knotgraphs, which is fun. I mean, can you, can you talk about that and, and how that works? Yeah, so uh, Knotgraphs was essentially, when we hired Carson Sestouli a couple of years ago, uh, we were kind of blown away with his email he sent us. Bob Nyer and Jonah Carey recommended him to us, and we get this email that was one of the funniest things we'd ever read, and he's like, this, uh, I don't know if this guy knows baseball, but he's a fantastic <laughs> writer. We need to bring him on board. So we did, and he wrote some really weird things for a little while, and we kind of shifted him towards baseball. But Carson is a, you know, he's a super talented writer and has just some tremendously creative ideas that go outside of the realm of normal sabermetrics. And we kind of felt like uh, that side of the game was something that interested more than just Carson. There was a good, good amount of feedback and some, you know, not so great feedback. Not everyone loves Carson's stuff, but there's definitely a niche appeal 
to that kind of thinking about the game. And so we uh, kind of gave Carson his own section and told him to go get some smart people who had similar uh, ways of thinking about baseball-related things. They don't necessarily have to be about the game, but just things tangentially related to baseball. Um, and he's brought in some really talented guys and created this fun little kind of alternative side of Fangraphs, which, uh, you know, it might not be for everyone, but for those who like it, I think they really do enjoy it. Are there certain people who only write for not graphs and not you know not the uh, you know not the original Fangraphs part or you know obviously Rotographs is a little bit different but you know um, is there a certain uh, you know um, a place for, uh, for, for certain Fangraphs writers to write in a certain section? Yeah, I mean like the people who write for Fangraphs uh, are basically welcome to write for any part of Fangraphs. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't say that like oh man uh, Naveen Vaswani can never write for Fangraphs because he is part of the team even yeah. though he at this point exclusively posts on. Not graphs because that's more his skill set. But if he came to us and said, I have an original research piece that I really want to post on Fangraphs, we'd be happy to put that up there. So, you know, we do have guys who maybe specialize in certain areas. You know, some guys write about prospects, some guys write about trade analysis, whatever it is. And a few guys do right now just only write photographs. But it's not that we're keeping them locked up in a box and you'll never see them anywhere else. And I want to ask you, you know, obviously uh, David Appleman is the one who created Fangraphs, and you know, uh, uh, the great thing about, you know, uh, one of the great things about Fangraphs for me is, is obviously uh, the advanced uh, stat part of it, and you know, it's it's so interesting because you know every single player you can imagine there's uh, there's uh, you know a page for, um, you know, I, I don't want you to share secrets or anything, but you know, I mean, how does you know how would someone go about creating um, a database for all those stats to be imported, you know, daily? Because you know, there's 162 games. Obviously, David Altman doesn't spend you know hour after hour writing down stats from each day. Yeah, no, I mean he's just an excellent coder. So I mean that's one of his skills, and one of the things that makes fans graphs uh, run really well is that the boss also happens to be uh, tremendous at coding. And so you know, if we need something done. He's the guy who does it, which is great. So we don't have to go through layers of red tape and, you know, find some IT guy to do our work for us and have to explain, you know, the boss is the guy who also does the work. So um, David set up a, a lot of databases and has kind of built the structure of how the site updates. It rolls every night at like 3 or 4 a.m., updating with the stats from the night before. Um, so you're right, David's not sitting there manually transcoding everything. We've got, you know, automatic feeds from our stat providers, and uh, I think the way he's built the site has really – kind of allowed the player cards to become the gold standard on the internet, and we're really proud of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit a little bit about the Wall Street Journal for a second. And, and you know, because obviously, Dave, um, your work is featured um, many, in many places, uh, ESPN, one of them. And, um, you know, uh, how how is your, you know, obviously, Fangraphs is, is obviously, uh, you know, Fangraphs and ESPN are your um, are, are where you're uh, mostly at. And um, what's different about your work at the Wall Street Journal? Well, the journal, you know, I've been writing there for a couple of years. Uh, the journal is a little bit of a different take. Sam Walker, who wrote Fantasyland, is the uh, sports editor over there. And they kind of have a one-page sports section where they try and take a slightly different slant on things. So they want things that are interesting and provocative and predictive and kind of forward-looking. They're not so much interested in history and what used to happen. They're really interested in what's going to happen and how we can relate it to an event that day. And so a lot of the stuff that I try and do for the journal – has to do with some specific sporting event that's going to take place that day, whether it's the home run derby or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And we try and put an interesting spin on it from a statistical perspective that people might not um, think about on a daily basis. Or if they're, you know, just a Wall Street Journal reader, maybe they don't have any idea about fan graphs or any of this kind of stuff. So we try and introduce them slowly to this kind of way of thinking. And, you know, the other challenge with the journal is I only get 275 words to get my point across. And yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there can, there can be a space issue sometimes where you're trying to get across a mm-hmm. sometimes complex point in a very, you know, two or three paragraphs. So, uh, you know, it's helped me learn how to, that sometimes less is more. Wait, wait, so you're saying so at Fangraphs, there is a word limit? 
No, I'm in the journal. Uh, oh, I see. The journal, there's a, okay. The journal gives me 275 words for the little count section on Fangraph. Really? You know, we, we uh, try to limit our writers from going too long, but, you know, we can, I, I have editorial uh, freedom to go as long as I want on Fangraph. But the <laughs> journal, 275 words, you know, give or take five. So it's, uh, it's pretty tight. Yeah, Dave, there's a couple more things I want to ask you because I know that you have to go. But um, you know, it's, it's funny because I forgot to mention um, a USS Mariner, and that's where you, and that's and that's one of your, uh, that's where the first, uh, it's one of the first places where you started writing. I mean, do you still, um, do you still write for USS Mariner, and is that still a big part of your, uh, you know, is that still a big part of your writing uh, life? Yeah, I still uh, am the guy in charge of USS M. I started it with Derek and Jason a while ago, and they both moved on to. I don't know if you say bigger and better things, but different things at least. And so uh, I'm the original guy left. I brought in a few people to help out along the way. I've gotten busy writing for other places, but still in charge of USM. Uh, plan on writing almost every day for it during the season, at least wow. as much as uh, time can allow. So, you know, I'm stretched a little bit thin, but uh, I'm always going to write for USS Mariner as long as I am you know, have fingers and can still breathe. Well, hopefully you have fingers and you can still breathe for a while. Uh, there's, Dave, this is one thing I want to ask you. I mean, um, you know, Fangraphs is obviously it, it's already a very good site. Is there, I mean, is there any expectations of yours uh, personally for the site in general? You know, uh, uh, going forward. Well, you know, I think I'd like to continue to see the site uh, do some interesting things that maybe aren't found elsewhere. Um, you know, one of the, actually uh, we're recording this on Wednesday tomorrow for introducing Frankie Pillier as our newest writer. Yes, uh, he's yeah, going to yeah. be chatting every Thursday and. You know, Frankie's not a typical stats guy. He scouted for the Rangers for a couple of years, and he was essentially Fanhouse's version of Keith Law. Uh, he understands and likes Fangraphs, but he's not going to be sitting there quoting Warren Wolf all the time. He's going to come from a scouting perspective, and we think that's something that, you know, will add to the site's diversity. And we really do want to have a, a lot of different intelligent opinions, and we don't necessarily uh, want to just pigeonhole ourselves as a stats site. We really want to be a baseball site. And so, you know, I think with guys like Frankie coming in, we'd really like to have uh, maybe a little more scouting stuff, even video prospects. I think there's a lot of interesting things we can do that we're not doing yet. And, you know, Fangraphs is always interested in feedback. So if there's things that your readers would like to see us adding, you know, we've got an open-door policy. Feel free and send them to myself or David Appleman, and we'll see if we can do it. Yeah, and uh, and also, yeah, I think Jonah, actually, I, you know, Dave, we talked to Jonah Carey yesterday, and he was saying the same thing. You know, uh, it's, you know, uh, Fangraphs is a site of, of great writers in general, not so much just stack guys. And, and Frankie Pillier is going to, you know, I mean, he's, he's one of the best out there. So it's a great addition. And Dave, uh, hey, listen, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks so much for taking the time and I'll talk to be on the box score. And, uh, Talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Dave. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the interviews with Dave and Will. Uh, you know, obviously, Matt, you, know, you and I had a lot of fun talking to them. Oh, yes. So, uh, Matt, so you had a couple of really good posts this week. Uh, do you have anything planned for the rest of the week? Yeah, well, if I remember tonight, I've got a big day, busy day with other stuff tomorrow. I'm yeah. going to do a, a post. It might be up by now uh, for tomorrow at Fangraphs on uh, uh, if people uh, how significant batting order is. Uh, people know it's not that significant, but I want to give a different perspective on it. I have some stuff coming up uh, probably the next couple of weeks beyond the box score. Uh, uh, just some basic data stuff on historical uh, FIP constants, fascinating material, and maybe historical pitching replacement levels and how to calculate that. It's pretty simple. Um, you had an interesting thing today on the on the uh, batter batter penalty. Yeah, batter yeah, penalty? yeah. I mean, it was you know I was I was I was inspired by a post that Jeff Zimmerman did a couple months ago actually about how uh, how batters in, well sorry how catchers interference can't be used as a uh, 
as a way to get uh, a batter on base without the pitcher pitching four balls. And, you know, I, I was looking at the rule book, and I'll tell you something, Matt. Uh, you know, uh, this the MLB rule book online is fascinating. It has every single rule. Every I mean, it's if, if, it, if it were to be on paper, it would be about 500 pages long, at least. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, I was looking at I – was, I was thinking about how, you know, how Rafael Betancourt – how he, you know, I've seen, I, you know, so many times I've seen him just, just, just wait and just wait and wait and wait and wait. And actually, I was talking to Lucas Apostoleros of Beyond the Box Score, our good friend, and he was telling me how he actually did a post. And well, Daniel Moore was telling me that Lucas Apostoleros did a post about pitchers. It was a pitch effects, you know, type thing, I guess, and, and pitchers who take the most time in between pitches. And then I checked in with Lucas about it, and yeah, I mean, Rafael Betancourt spends about 31 seconds in between pitches, and that's crazy. So I wanted to figure out if there's any, you know, similarity with batters and, you know, batters who, you know, because Jay Bruce, for example, takes a pitch, you know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't swing, it's a strike down the middle, he steps out, he walks towards the dugout, he takes a couple swings, it's it's a little uh, disruptive, and Bud Selig has talked about that for a while, and, you know, there's actually, if a batter refuses, physically refuses to get in the box, it's a strike, but that's, but that's, not, but that's, but that's not the case most of the time, so I wanted to figure out if there's any, uh, you know, penalty that should be uh, given um, to uh, you know to, to hitters who delay uh, a, you know time significantly, and uh, it was it was a, I had fun with it. Um, Matt, by the way, I really liked your uh, your your Martian post. <laughs> yeah, why is that? Well, I just like Martian as a player in general. He's a oh, good I guy. Too. I, f- I, f- I felt I felt kind of bad about yeah. it because it was sort of about how he's not very good and. Uh, uh, but you know, sometimes you, you have to write the truth. Tian is a is a cool guy. is is a good re- reputation for being a really good guy, and he is one. Uh, uh, I think with Tian, it was too bad because he uh, his his bat doesn't. I mean, it's an old story. His his bat doesn't play at any of the positions he can field at. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. he if he could actually play third decently, he wouldn't be a bad player there. But he's a horrible third baseman. Uh, I think he's probably averageish on the outfield corners or at first. Yeah, but he's like except that his but his but his bat can't but his bat can't play there, um, and so he's getting replaced by uh, is it Brett or Brent Morell? Brent Morell. Yeah, who apparently uh, I've heard some people say that he could be one of the. I mean, he's his bat is going to be pretty. It's not going to be good. Uh, Lee certainly not right away, but well, not certainly right. Probably not. But but apparently he's a monster defensively. Like could be in the same category like Roland and Beltre. But yeah. I, I heard somebody say that. I don't know what if you've seen him play. I don't. I don't think that's a good comparison at all. And I and I don't like comparisons in general because you know you, you don't want to compare a young player to a to a you know to a major league like that. And I'll tell you something. Brent Morell, Brent Morell rather. Um, he, you know he has he has very little upside. He's not you know there's not much potential there. He's going to be a solid everyday third baseman, but he's not going to be a superstar especially defensively i don't think he's a good defender but well yeah well yeah like i said i don't, I don't think he'd be a superstar yeah. i just meant that i mean i've just heard one person say that i'm not saying it's true maybe they're just too high on morale whatever that means i just mean apparently he's a really good fielder yeah. so that uh, uh it's it'll make up for his bat and and, and whereas tian is a terrible fielder who doesn't have a very good bat but you know uh you know, it's too bad. I'm, I'm happy for Tian. The White Sox gave him that contract because now he's set yeah, for life. Yeah. But it was a really bad decision on the White Sox part. Oh, it sure honestly, was. Honestly, didn't make sense. I'm not even sure the the trade didn't even make sense because uh, now I mean, look. Obviously, they saw something in Tian they liked, and sometimes you have to go with that. Uh, that's the White Sox. Kenny Williams doesn't like to sit still, 
And you know, I think that's a good, you know, at least it's fun to watch. Uh, uh, I don't, uh, but but Tian, there was no ups, there was no upside at that point. I, yeah. I I defended Tian for a long time. I thought he would be at least a league average player overall. But uh, I think his defensive stats were skewed because that first year, a lot of guys, the first year he was in right, uh, 2007. I think a lot of guys tried to run on him. And he gunned him down. Uh, but then once they just, you know, calmed down a little bit, yeah. it just he just he he didn't get good reads. Uh, and he didn't have the range to make up for it, and uh, in, in third, he just has, has been a disaster. So it's uh, it's too bad because you know yeah. Tian was a, a really good prospect at one point. Uh, yeah, he was part of Moneyball. He was uh, he was one of the well, yeah, he's, he's yeah, maybe the next Jason Giambi. Yeah, uh, who said that? Wow. One of the A's guys. He he was not the next Jason Giambi, but maybe he didn't drink the right protein <laughs> shakes. I don't. Um, so that, you know, so I, I'm actually. Did you see the Royals are up on game day right now? Oh, I, I, I'm not. Why are they? Are they playing right now? Yeah, they're playing. They're playing. Uh, oh yeah, the, the Angels. Yeah, Angels. I think if I'm. That's right. Escobar hit a jack. Escobar hit a jack. That's our guy. I'll see Escobar. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can see. I mean, he could. I. Here's my prediction. It's gonna be so. He'll hit at least one home run this season. I really like him a lot, and we'll talk about him next week because. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you know, real quick before we end, because we actually, uh, you know, we wanna, we don't wanna make it too long. We'll talk about the Royals and I'll see Escobar and Lorenzo Cain. Uh, Lorenzo Cain, a big fan of mine, Matt. By the way, we'll talk about these guys next Ooh. week. Um, but Cain's Cain's a big fan of you. Well, he, of course he's a big fan of me. I, I'm a big fan of his. I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of his. But I'm sure he reads beyond the box score and lo- and loves all of our stuff. Like like all players do. Yeah, I mean they're... they they love the internet. They love internet commentary um, on baseball, especially the sabermetric stuff. Yeah, I mean I keep getting emails from uh, I think I think his name is Albert Pujols. I'm not sure, but he's. Well, he... I get I, I yeah I, I get a lot of I get I get some emails from some guy named Garrick Thirty Eight. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he, he, uh, yeah, it's all the stuff about chemistry and pork rinds and, and how Scott Brown is awesome. I'm Kurt sure Schilling, everybody. Kurt Schilling. Oh gosh, it's so funny. I think uh, yeah, it was Lucas who had a. Who had a, a fan shot about Kurt Schilling's uh, antics on the internet? It's funny how he doesn't. I think he's trying to get people to see his. Obviously, he's trying to get attention because he doesn't simply reply. And if you reply, then you don't. Um, then no well, he's a bigger. He's, he's he's a bigger, literally a bigger troll than Murray Chess. Yeah, and uh, Charlie Sheen. Tim Collins, sorry. Yeah, this Tim, is Collins, sorry. Is, is Tim, Tim Collins is in. Yeah, he plays in Jeff Francis. Yeah. Um, yeah. So wait, so Matt, so do you have any plans for opening day? You can do anything. You're gonna have pizza. You're gonna tailgate. What do you? Oh, I don't know. I think I, I, I am super busy this week with real life, which sucks. Well, it's next. Till somebody, still somebody starts paying me a thousand dollars a blog post, though. I have to, I have to do it. So, uh, I don't know what I'm gonna do opening day. You know, we might if we can find childcare. We might actually go see, uh, the Jays. I can't. Are they playing the White Sox? Playing opening the Twins. Weekend? Twins. That's right. I the Jays. Yeah, we don't talk about the Jays. I, I think Jays are going to be good. What are you going to do opening day? I'll, yeah, I'll be at Yankee Stadium. I'm watching the Tigers and the Yankees. Um, Ooh, Verlander and CC. Yeah, it's 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 going to be exciting. I, I you know I have the same seats that I usually sit at. I usually you know there's a lot of there's a, there's a guy I know in the, um, next to the visitors bullpen uh, who you know who works there. So I if I can I sit with him every time. So you know so I can watch the relievers pitch and you know just just hang around there watch the game. It's great view. Uh, Yankee Stadium is great and it's funny Matt because everyone criticizes. Uh, what's that? No, go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Well, it's you know it's funny because everyone criticizes us as a Yankees for having too much money, but you know, but their but their ticket prices on StubHub are, I mean, you know, uh, someone with uh, with, you know, with pennies could buy tickets for Yankee games. I mean, there's four, five, three dollar tickets, you know, for not bad seats. Yeah. I think uh, uh, the fun thing about that you'll get to see it if Rafael Soriano throws a fit. Yeah. That... Which apparently, which apparently he does. 
sometimes. I, I'm I'm excited to see him pitch, and you know it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an exciting day. Uh, opening day is, is is probably the best day of the entire year. Come on, it has to be met. I think the best day of the entire year is when we get the results, the glove, glo- uh, the gold glove voting, since that's Derek uh, Jeter again. Well, I don't know. It's too. I wish Michael Young was still at shortstop so they yeah. could battle it out. I, th- I think Michael Young's going to win some sort of ling- leadership. He award has to the, because because he's, he's such a great leader. The, the Roberto Clemente Award given to Michael Young. Um, hey Matt, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you know we love talking, but we got to say goodbye. We'll be back next Tuesday or sorry next Wednesday with a brand new podcast, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this one. Matt, say goodbye. Goodbye. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean a bare necessities. That's why a bear can rest at ease with just the bare necessities of life. Yeah. With just the bare necessities of life. Yeah, man.